four, three, two, one, boom, and we're live. What's up, brother? How are you? Very, very good. Thanks for doing this, man. I'm very excited to have you yeah. in here. I'm honored to be here, man. I was just thinking about this the other day, actually. I was like, the fucking people that have been on the show, man. <laughs> yeah, I think about it sometimes, yeah. too. Freaks me out. Yeah. Sam Harris, James Hetfield. Uh, man, I, yeah, I was thinking about all the people, man. I was like, how do I compete with these guys? Just be Matt Brown. I know. What are you talking about, man? I, know. I mean, I could beat all their asses, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, in certain situations, that's all that counts. <laughs> <laughs> the situations that I thrive in. <laughs> exactly. So uh, you were retired, and now you're not. Now you just signed to fight Carlos Condit? You got it. Damn, that's a good fight. I like that. Yeah. I think Carlos needed to fight back, too, that fight with Neil Magny. He looked like he was suffering through some ring rust. Looked yeah, man. You, timing. You know, I've talked to a lot of people about that because that's the first thing that always comes up, right? Is how he came back and looked in that fight. And I've trained with Neil a lot, man. I tell you, Neil can shut a fucking game down right away. Yeah, you know, he's very good. Yeah, very we underrated. can't take away from yeah. Neil, man. Um, Carlos didn't seem to show any sense of urgency either, though. So, you know, I think it's both sides, but. Uh, I think he's also going to be looking for redemption with me. Yeah, I think, I think it, so too. Yeah, he wanted to come back right away. Actually, they actually asked me to fight. It would have been like six weeks' notice. What's the longest you've ever taken off? Uh, after I fought Cowboy, got knocked the fuck out, uh, and took a year off and fought Diego. So, what is it like coming back after a year? It felt natural to me personally. To you? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's different for different, different people, right? Yeah. Yeah, someone was talking to me about this the other day, ring rust, and I was like, you know, everybody's different, man. Every single person is going to react a little differently, and I think also when you have someone, uh, you know, John Danaher was talking about like the different types of fighters, right? I think he just grouped three different types of fighters, uh, like a violence guy, a tactical guy, and something else. Well, I think it's going to, I think there's more types of fighters than what he went through, but there's, um, I think it's going to affect every single type of person differently. You know, yeah. and, and I fought, like I fought, for instance, like I fought a much more tactical fight against Diego. It wasn't. I mean, you could you could easily go in with Diego and just go to fucking war with him, right? I mean, Gilbert Melendez style. Exactly. Yeah. He's totally down for that. Like oh, yeah. that's what Diego is. You know, he will wake right up and go for that, right? Yeah. I was like, man, I'm better than him. Let's just be tactical. And uh, I think that was part of why it helped. Now, now I think uh, someone that that goes in with a more violent style, uh, which I've done many times in my life. Um, I think that's a, a bit more complicated because there's a lot more timing and reaction in that, whereas the strategy, you have a very clear path to victory. You know exactly what you got to do. It's just You're just going in there and just um, you know connecting the dots when you get in there. And staying on the plan. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Now, when yeah. you get a guy like Diego, though, that temptation has got to be always there, right? Because he's so willing. Well, if uh, if it's necessary, because you love that kind of fighting, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. one of the reasons why you're so loved. Mm -hmm. Like, there's Thanks. never been a Matt Brown fight ever that's boring. There's a lot of guys that have, because of styles, because of whatever, they've had fights that weren't very crowd pleasing. Mm -hmm. But your style has always been do or die, seek and destroy. That's one of the reasons yeah. why people love you. Yeah, well, I mean that that just goes back to my mentality of why I'm fighting to start with, right? It's not really about just winning. I think that's sort of a Western culture thing, sort of an American thing. Like, I, I kind of go back to the original pride, and it's like, look, just fight, man. You know, this is 
a fun thing. This is a, a badass thing we're doing. This is an amazing thing. Go in there and fight. Test yourself. The Bushido spirit. Things like that. And not it doesn't have to be just win at all costs. You know, this right. is, uh, you know, to me, it, it waters down the sport. I mean, that's not what combat is about. So, this, you know, it's not me. Well, I mean, that's what makes it interesting is that there are different styles. There's people that have safety first styles mm. where they're just fighting to win. And then there's other people like yourself that just whatever's inside you that comes out. You know, I always said this, like there's certain dudes like uh, because of your history, because of, uh, I mean, you had an overdose where you literally died. And there's the same with Court McGee. Uh, he had the same situation yeah. happen to him. I always said I talked to him about it. Yeah. Dudes that have gone to the other side are fucking terrifying inside the cage. There's like there's there's a certain thing. I don't know if it's just coincidentally that both of you guys have that mindset, or was, let's forget about even Court, but you have this mindset. And I've always said I wonder if there's a correlation between such extreme lows in your life. Where you bottomed out so hard, literally your body had shut down, and you were ready to you were ready to pass on. The doctor saved you, and you've got a mindset going into that cage that's just it's just another notch more intense than most people. Certainly, and that, that's uh, you know to be honest, that's something I've sort of struggled with a lot too because it wasn't actually that specific moment, um, the overdose that kind of affected me the way it did. It was more. Uh, a long-term life of uh, well I would say I've just been an angry person honestly like just since I grew up so it was all about channeling that anger um, a lot of fighters like that right I think so I think it's one of the beauties of martial arts right that helps you channel that yeah I mean we all have to find an outlet um, I, I didn't discover martial arts uh, until what 22 23 21 22 something like that and uh you know so before my outlet was drugs and alcohol you know that was my my way to say fuck everybody right and uh you know it just went too far but the like i said you know when it is expressed in the cage that's more of a, a long-term uh thing growing up uh, an angry person and then um you know, I always give a lot of credit to uh, Jamie Josta, Hate Breed. You know, uh, that's who I walk out to nowadays. Uh, it's a dream come true to have a walkout song by them. And uh, um, that was like the first time that I was able to find a positive outlet for that energy. You know, I didn't know what, what heavy metal was growing up. You know, what I mean, I, I grew up in a small farm town and uh, I didn't know what that was, but heavy metal gave me an outlet. And Hatebreed was the first one that gave me a positive outlet. Before it was like, it was negative, Pantera, um, Slayer, like stuff like this. It's all negativity, you know. So this rage is is coming out in a negative sense and gets expressed through drugs, alcohol, hanging with the wrong people, things like that. And then there's a turning point where I'm like, man, this can be a positive thing, and I can use this energy directed towards something positive. What were you angry about growing up? Ah, good question. <laughs> um, man, that, that goes deep, man, because, uh, you know, I grew up in a very, very, very small town, 200 people population. I didn't see uh, a skyscraper until I was, I mean, like up in person, like we drove by it in Dayton, Ohio, which is in a big town in itself. Um, 
until I was like over 18 years old, you know, so I was, just, I always felt like there was so much more out there for me. And I was kind of, I grew up in a machine shop. My dad was a machinist. So I was doing that from like five years old. I was sweeping the fucking floor. And I was like, I was like, man, this is not what I'm meant to be. Like, I'm supposed to be something great. But, uh, but everybody around me is like, no, this is what you do. You live in this little town and you do, you follow the rules. You're going to be a machinist or a farmer or, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, that shit pissed me off, you know. And I never really found my niche. And so I was homeschooled actually for, I think, two years in uh, junior high. So I think that was sort of actually the start because I went back to school. And when I went back to school, I was now the outsider. I didn't have any friends. Um, and then going up, uh, all of a sudden I'm in high school and I have no friends. I have no, uh, I, I can't get laid for shit. Uh, I think that's what causes anger in a lot of people in the world, right? Oh, yeah, and depression. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, it's a and, big yeah. factor. Yeah, and, and at the exact same time, I'm starting to experiment with uh, drugs and alcohol. So you put the two together, you know, um, I was supposed to be um, the prodigal son, you know what I mean? Like, I was very intelligent. I was, um, you know, I, like, I was doing things by the time I was 15 years old in the machine shop that, that guy's... You know, they've been working for my father for 10, 15 years, couldn't do. You know what I mean? So I was sort of this prodigal son. I was good at athletics and everything. Had no problem with all that stuff. So I think uh, it was just sort of a backlash, you know, and then I let that anger get the best of me. So now when you were doing drugs and alcohol, what were the drugs? Like what was the drug that caused you to overdose? Heroin. Ooh. An injection, yeah. Damn, that's deep. When you're yeah. injecting it, that's that's when you're all in, baby. Yeah, and you know, I didn't actually do it a whole lot. Is kind of the funny thing. A lot of people thought that I was addicted to heroin, and I wasn't. That I think that was probably the fifth time that I did it, maybe six, something like that. I didn't count, but um, you know, that was sort of my fuck. That was my step into the dark side. Mm. You know, and it, and a blessing and a curse, man. You know, it immediately, I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's what can happen, right? right. It's a step back. Uh, and, you know, I was very naive, very, uh, man, I was a fool, really. Like, because what I did, I remember leaving the, uh, uh, the hospital. I was like, okay, well, I'm never doing heroin again, but let's go do some coke. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> Right, so I, I was just a dummy, man. Wow. And, How old and, were you? Um, I think I was 21, 22, uh, one of those. Uh, I mean, that was like 15 years ago. There's a lot of stuff. I I, I was actually kind of thinking about, like, uh, so again, you know, uh, on this podcast, I was like, uh, I was like you know, this is probably going to come up on it. It's a pretty uh, intense story. Um, I was like, damn, I can't remember all the details of that shit. <laughs> it was like a long time ago, but... Anyway, yeah, so I was like 21, 22, and um, it wasn't too much long later. You know, I lived with this girl, and, it, you know, she was a drug addict, too, and she had a couple kids, and it was like, I was like, all right, well, now I got a place to live. Like, let's get fucked up. <laughs> hmm. You know, and, and it was, uh, I never did um, heroin again after that, obviously. Um, I think I did oxys, though. Percocet stuff like that. Which, Oxy's basically the same thing, right? Yeah, which, which I mean, I didn't realize it at the at the time. But really, my drug of choice was meth back in that day. 
that was what I really liked. That was actually what I was addicted to at one point. And I ended up going to jail, and that was what got me uh, out of addiction. I didn't realize I was addicted until I was in jail. So, What made you realize it when you were in jail? I just, uh, you know, just couldn't stop thinking about it and just wanted it and just, I mean, I didn't get have like, like, um, like cold sweats or anything. I don't think that happens with uppers, but, um, I mean, I was just, you know, like, like I couldn't stop thinking about it, man. I was like, dude, like just a lot of that anger was coming out. I was just like, God, like, what the fuck? Like I wanted to fight everybody. I was like, somebody give me something, you know? And wow. yeah, it was just it was a really terrible experience, but probably when it lasted three, four days, not even, maybe not even that. And then you came out of it. Yeah, I mean, I was just like able to accept my fate and and deal with it. What does it feel like to be on meth? Uh, you ever take Adderall? No, <laughs> I never taken Adderall. No, um, pretty it, similar it, to Adderall, right? Yeah, it's like Adderall. I mean, that's the closest I would say. Um, I mean, you're high, um, but you don't have. I mean, it sends euphoria more than anything. Just a excuse me. Just an extreme sense of euphoria, just everything's beautiful, but then, man, as soon as you start to lose that a little bit, you just itch for it so bad, man, so bad. Like, you just want it again. You you, you don't want to sleep. You, like, your teeth would be grinding. You're just like, like you're, you're just tensing up all your muscles. Like, God, well, I got to get more of that, you know? <laughs> now, were you working out at all back then? No. Nothing. No. Well... I tell you, well, not working out like I should be. So, again, I, I was angry. A lot of times, like, I'd be at a party. That This was a, a common thing. I'd, I'd be at, like, a party or just doing drugs, whatever, and i just start getting, look at everybody, like, I fucking don't like none of you. And I would just walk outside, <laughs> and, and I would go for a run. I'd run five, six miles, come back, and be like, all right, give me another line or whatever. Wow. Yeah. Um, you would and, run and then come back to the yeah, party? Yeah, and then sometimes I would, I would fight people. You know, that was common, uh, very, very common, if you call that working out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and we like w this particular time in my life, I was living in a, a little town called Jamestown, Ohio, and I, I had this buddy. Um, he was friend. His cousin, well, his cousin was a fighter, and this was kind of my first uh, – uh, a foray into mixed martial arts. Our first uh, experience watching it and everything. And uh, they would train in the grass in the backyard. You know, we, I remember watching uh, Ken Shamrock DVDs or VHSs back then. Um, leg locks. We'd go on the living room floor, like just be shit face drunk. And I'm lucky I didn't tear my ACL or anything. We're like, oh, this is what he's doing. This is how you do it. Heel just, hooks. Yeah, heel hooks. And. <laughs> I mean, I don't remember all the techniques, but I remember it was like, you know, pancreation stuff, right? right. And we'd just be laying there, and it, and it was always a, a thought of like, like, dude, this is fucking awesome, man. Like, I could beat Tank Abbott. Like, what are you, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we would joke about it, man. We would say, I remember specifically sitting there and be like, like, dude, like, you know, we're going to get you a fight in, uh, you know, the local Joe Schmo show, and then, uh, you know, we're going to get you up, and you're going to go to a Pride, and then you're going to go to the UFC. I was like, oh, cool, hell yeah, let's do it. And that was, you know, it was like a joke, kind of, but that, like, that was what was in my head. That's, so that that's was what we were going to do. introduction to martial arts. Yeah. So what was your first real formal training? Like, what, what gym did you first? So I fought before I trained. 
Get the fuck out yeah. of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> so actually, this this guy that was... Uh, um, he was supposed to go fight Wes Sims. And uh, his name was Fat Joe, is what we called him. He was supposed to go fight Wes Sims... Fat Sims. Wes Sims that day. And... I said, yeah, let's go, man. I want to go with you. I want to see this shit up close, right? And so we go there, and uh, I'm I'm doing a bunch of coke on the way. And, you know, to me, it's just going to be a party. Like, I'm just going to watch my dude fight. I get there, and, I, uh, you know, there's a, he signs up on the table. And I was like, I was like dude, what, is that how, you, you know, that's all you got to do? He's like, yeah. He's like, you just pay 30 bucks, and you come fight. I said, man, maybe I should do that. And then the, the guy, <laughs> and I'm, I'm looking inside, and I see the, uh, you know, people sitting around smoking cigars. It's like you see on a movie. People smoke cigars. You see bets being made and stuff. And, and uh, the guy goes, man, you want to fight the champion? Like, nobody wants to fight him. And I was like, fuck yeah, man, I'll fight him. Are you kidding me? So I literally went across the street. There's a sporting goods store across the street or down the street or something. Went and bought a mouthpiece come back uh there's a restaurant across the street boiled the mouthpiece at the restaurant use their microwave come back and then uh, uh, and then we're at the fighters meeting so the fighters meeting back then was a lot different so it wasn't way in it was like you and you you guys look about the same size uh you guys doing kickboxing okay you guys fight right so that's how the way it worked out and i'm sitting there and they're like okay you're the champion you're fighting him and i was like oh shit all right fuck this motherfucker right and uh <laughs> You know, so I'm sitting in my station, this guy, he taught me how to do a jab. He's like, man, he's like, all you gotta do to beat this guy, just jab him. He's like, you see this? Just throw this jab. I was like, oh, okay, I'm gonna do that. And I uh, went out there and I beat the guy. So he actually what? quit. Yeah, he actually quit, you know? So he was a tough man champion is what he was. And uh, I actually threw a jab, punched him in the face, and he went to shoot uh, on me. I did, you know, a, a playground guillotine choke, and he just quit. I don't think I actually had the choke in. I don't... I, Highly doubt. You Did know, he tap? He tapped out, saying that his calf cramped up. <laughs> I have no idea, you know, like wow. what, what really happened. I mean, I I certainly didn't know a guillotine choke. I didn't even know the name of it. So uh, anyway, later that night, I was like, dude, like your fight didn't go very long. You want to fight again? Like, yeah, whatever, man. And they said, well, this guy, you know, he's going pro in his next boxing match. You're a kickboxer. Let's fight him. Said, all right, I'll fuck him up, right? I go there. <laughs> this dude beat the shit out of me. So that was actually the first. The nice thing about that was it actually made me realize how tough I am. That was the saving grace. I mean, he just you know just pieced me up, just one punch after another. You know, I'm just eating punch after punch, and then uh, yeah, that was it. I said, man, I got to do this shit. And then so my second fight, uh, I you know I didn't think I still yet needed to train. Uh, my second fight. I met a guy at a gym, so you know I did go to this gym. It was a Japanese jiu-jitsu gym, and he goes and, and he goes, "Hey man, you want to fight in like two weeks in Muay Thai?" Hell yeah, right? Um, so for two weeks, you know, I hit the bag probably for five minutes at a time, whatever or something. Um, I go to the fight, and uh, man, I, <laughs> this is the worst part. So. I get in there. The first thing the guy does comes in, shoots on me, takes me down. We're in big gloves, uh, shin pads, and all this. Takes me down. I'll get up, look at the rest. What the fuck? He's taking me down. We can't do this Muay Thai, right? Uh, he's like, fight, you know. Comes in, takes me down again. I was like, what the fuck, man? So I was like, okay, so we're fucking wrestling, right? So I come out and get in sort of a wrestling stance, drop my hands, fucking kicks me in my head. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so uh, we'll come find out later. It's Sanchao. 
Not oh. Muay Thai. Scott Sheely's show. What, I, used to, I, I used to work with him a lot. San Chow, for people who don't know, was uh, kickboxing with takedowns. Yep. Uh, I cornered Kung Maurice Lee. Smith back in the day when Maurice was doing that once. Ah, okay. Yeah, in Burbank, I think it was. It was weird. It was confusing. It's like, okay. I mean, it's interesting, I guess. Mm. I mean, it's probably a good skill set to learn. Learn how to do takedowns and throws with with kickboxing, but then you just let the guy up, which is just weird. You didn't get it, huh? He was weird. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it still goes on today. Sand off, essentially. Yeah. I, I think it's an amazing sport. I love it. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's Kung a, Lee. A, a lot of times it's a lot like throws in Muay Thai because, you, you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of trips and throws in Muay Thai. Except, that, except you get points for the, right. the throws. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, up to five. Yeah. Another variation. Yeah. Yeah, I so, think if like their feet go above their head, it's five points. So when did you get serious? So you did this. So you it was did right two after events. that, because I mean he beat the shit out of me. Um, I like I remember walking out of there and people were looking at me like, "Damn, how'd you survive that, bro?" I mean, and like people were actually asking me that, like, "Dude, how did you survive that shit?" I'm like, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I had to, and uh, I had to go to work that night. I was like working third shift. <laughs> I had to oh, go to work wow. right after. Everybody was looking at me at work. Like, dude, you got like two black eyes. Like, but anyway, um, that was when I, I uh, said to myself, you know, I want to try this, uh, and you know, I think, uh, you know, this is a, a something I really enjoy, and I want to go for it. Um, so I met this guy. Um, uh, his name was Eli Ayers, and he was fighting in King of the Cage, one of the toughest guys I've ever met, and then a guy, Braden Workman, and. Uh, they were training for, it was a big show there in Columbus. Um, I can't remember the name of the show, but I think like Lawler fought on it. Like a bunch of Militich guys, Tim Sylvia. You know the name if I say it, I can't remember. But anyway, um, yeah, and then, you know, then I really got the shit kicked out of me when I got in the gym. You know, then I realized like, you know, what a real beating was. And uh, yeah, just went from there, man, because I, I, I just said I never looked back and I, th I thought, man, you know, I want to change my life. You know, I'm, I'm you know, I wasn't never actually a uh, the type of person that, that fit in with the drug user scene, right? Like that mm -hmm. wasn't me. It was just a, again an expression of anger and these things that um, you know in my childhood just kind of you know came out the wrong way, right? So it wasn't really uh, like I fit in there. Right. Um, so at this point, like I'm, I'm really not fitting in anywhere. And this was a, a, a quote that I remember where I said, uh, "Stop trying to find yourself and start to define yourself." And and I felt like the whole time I was trying to find myself. And I said, you know, I'm a, I'm a define who the fuck I am. I'm gonna say this is what I am and this is what I do. I'm a fighter. Fuck it, let's go. It's do or die. Um, I've, I've been in jail. I've been dead. I've been, you know, uh, I've slept in, on, in the fucking snow. You know what I mean? Like I've been homeless, like I've done every low thing you can do. Like what's the worst that could happen? I get knocked out, there's nothing. So, uh, you know, I decided, uh, you know, this is my path and I'm gonna carve the path. I'm not gonna search for a path. I'm gonna make the path and I'm not gonna look back and I'm going to the top of that mountain. And, uh, and that's something I still talk about today when I talk to people is about, uh, I didn't have any idea how I was gonna do it, but I knew why I was gonna do it and I knew that I was gonna do it and I think um, in my own personal struggles, and I think in a lot of people's struggles, they kind of get caught up in the how. You know, how am I going to do this? How am I going to win this fight? Whatever. And I think when you know, understand your why, I, I think the how becomes a lot more 
um, clear, clear, yeah, more clear and easier. I mean, it doesn't matter anymore. You could, do, it's better to do it a hundred percent wrong than fifty percent right. I think there's a balance to doing things, and it's highlighted by what you just what you just said. There's a balance, and it's a lot of what we were talking about earlier about. Uh, Joel Jameson versus Louis Simmons mm-hmm. versus uh, like someone who's like super technical versus someone who's just a fucking mad dog and just wants you to just go out and do it and don't be a pussy. Mm-hmm. Your your mindset that allowed you to take that fight with no training and then take another fight after that with no training and then take another fight after that with no t- t- just this mindset of fuck it let's just do this. Mm-hmm. That you just, there's a balance between that. And then you realizing, okay, I got to really learn how to do this. If I'm going to really be a fighter, I'm going to really be a, really define myself. I'm going to really go out and make a mark. I got to learn what the fuck I'm doing. Exactly. There's both things there. But that's that balance. Like you need both things. You know, I mean, it's, it's, you have to have a certain amount of fuck it in you. You know, mm-hmm. you have to have a certain amount for a sport. I mean, is it called an MMA a sport? It always seemed to me to be. It's too. It's too defining. It's or, or too. Uh, it's it's too limited. It's not fighting is more than a sport. It's an expression of what you're capable of. Absolutely. It's your you who you are as a human. And that's where uh, one distinction I've made over the years is the difference between martial skills and martial arts. Everything everybody always calls everything and encompasses it into a martial art. And when we go to the gym and we're training arm bars, do 100 arm bars, that's not an art. That's not your expression of your body in a combat scenario. That's, right. a, that's a martial skill. Now, when we go in competition, now we're expressing our art. Right. And I think this is an important distinction to be made. I think it's something that uh, I get so tired of hearing, you know, I, I train martial arts and, uh, you know, I train martial skills and then I express my art. That's a very interesting way of putting it. How many years after you initially started seriously training were you on the Ultimate Fighter? Uh, four or five. I remember when you were on the Ultimate Fighter and they stole your chew. Somebody <laughs> fucked with your That's chew. What everybody remembers. Yeah. Well, I remember that because I remember like there's some dudes that there's some guys that play tough guy. There's some guys that put on a show and puff up their chest and say some shit that they might not necessarily mean. And then there's some guys that say some shit and you go, uh-oh, this dude's fucking serious. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember when they fucked with your, cute, with your chew, I remember watching that and go, this motherfucker's serious. I'm like, Matt yeah. Brown's not a joker. And then when you fought Matt Arroyo, that was uh, another example of it. I'm like, there's skill-wise, I'm like, Matt Arroyo's a very talented guy and still is, good jiu-jitsu guy, good fighter. But there was something that was a battle of minds. I and agree. Your mind, and I don't know if you knew that I fought him before that too. Yeah, I did. Right? Yeah. And, but the first time I fought, and this is why it was such a, a no brainer to say to fight. Uh, I fought him the first time on twenty four hours notice. So I, I wasn't even I wasn't training her. I was training a girl, and uh, she was going to Florida to fight. And when I got there, we're driving to the weigh ins, and the promoter. I heard him talking on the phone. And he goes, and I heard him say, you know, oh, we don't have an opponent for him. I, so I said, hey, you know, what do you need an opponent for? And he's like, well, this guy, Matt Arroyo, you know, 170. And, and I said, dude, I'll fight. Like, I, how much will you pay me? And they're like, yeah, 400, 500 bucks. I was like, dude, that'll pay my rent. Fuck yeah, I'll do it. And um, yeah, so, and I said, you know, I can't make weight because I got like one hour. 
and uh <laughs> you know he said he said it's cool and fought him on 25 hours notice and beat him so he wanted redemption for that yeah there was th that fight was an you one of the things about like watching you fight as someone who's seen a lot of people fight there's there's moments in exchanges where after the exchange a guy will try to take a break or a guy will try to catch his breath or move pace the obligatory and, break yeah, is what I call it. yeah there's little breaks and then there's guys who recognize those breaks and push in mm -hmm. and you're a guy who pushes in absolutely when there's a break you're like oh no motherfucker there's no breaks here there's no breaks here and you just get on dudes and it makes things very intense yeah you know that's the thing about all your fights they're very intense you know there's a there's a certain level of violence that you bring into the octagon that someone has to be prepared for you know and there's some guys that are prepared for it and makes for amazing fights like your fight with Robbie Lawler holy shit was that a crazy fight yeah you know and then there's guys who just they just can't keep the pace they just can't keep that that mm. keeping you off of them yeah and uh, I think what um, my goal as a martial artist as a fighter uh, Marshall, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, combat guy, you know, I, I get my skills up to the point where um, it matches your mind, where it matches the mind. Yeah. And Isn't that crazy. Yeah. I mean, a lot of guys struggle the other way. Yeah. And I think one of the, the things that um, I talk about a lot that you see, I don't think that I was necessarily born this way. This is where I think a lot of people get confused. I mean, I was certainly born with an inclination towards uh, uh, fighting I wouldn't be where I'm at w without that but you know um, I work a lot on my mind I do a lot of stuff I've always been obsessed with martial arts and and, and combat uh, as a whole and I hear other people say they're obsessed like, like Connor you know made it really famous when he started saying it right I think my obsession goes far far beyond what anybody's even even close to I don't think they're they're uh, definition of obsession even uh, even uh, is comparable to mine at all I mean I'm I'm far more obsessed I've, I've read probably I, I got a, a library of sports psychology books of, of strength conditioning books of uh, martial arts books all this stuff um, I mean it's literally on my mind 24 hours a day but one of the things I really focus on is the the sports psychology part and I think that is why it's expressed that way in the fight um, and you hear a lot of people they'll say you hear how, how have you heard like man you know my mind's already strong like i ain't scared when i walk in there or, or stupid shit like that and yeah and i always say you know do you think michael jordan stopped practicing layups do you think jordan burroughs stopped practicing double legs do you think that arnold schwarzenegger stopped doing bicep curls it, because it's good doesn't mean that you can't stop. be improved upon yeah it can right. be improved upon and you don't stop so and i think the mind is one of those things that um can always be better like we're not tapping into i mean what are we tapping like 10 percent of our brains that's all bullshit. best yeah no, that's yeah that's bullshit yeah they used to oh, think fuck. that they used to think <laughs> that it's they used to that's something they say but uh the reality is uh your brain has a bunch of different quadrants for all sorts of different functions okay so when you know you're utilizing a certain portion of your brain that's the portion of your brain that's responsible for those actions Okay. Yeah. This is not either way. Our, our our minds are certainly far more unlimited and far more potential than we're tapping into. Well, right? I think your mind yeah. is a lot like your body, and it performs and it does what you ask of it. Mm -hmm. And if you just are a lazy bitch who doesn't do anything but sit around and watch TV, and you don't 
ever challenge your mind, I think your mind is weak and it atrophies. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now, when you say that you, you have all these books and you say that you work on your mind, like, do you have a, a daily practice that you do? Do you meditate? Like, what um, do you do? I meditate. Um, you know, daily is sort of a, uh, I, I hate saying I do it daily because, you know, I skip days. Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, I have three kids, which you know how that goes. And yeah, yeah it's very, um, but at the same time, I try to use everything as an opportunity to practice on my mind too, right? Um, um, how you do anything is how you do everything, yes. right? Yes. Right? Um, and so I think, you know, we can use opportunities all the time. And, uh, but yes, I do meditate. I do tons of visualization. I have uh, um, my strength and conditioning coach I work with now. He's, a, he's also got a degree in sports psychology. So we integrate a lot of that in the training itself. Uh, for instance, like doing, we do these 200 yard sprints on the force treadmill that are, that are just miserable. That, I mean, by the time you're done, you just don't have anything left. It's a complete drain. And then as soon as you're done, like you have to stand at attention, right? I have to stand, you know, like a military attention, straight up and down, and not let the, uh, the, the concept of your body shutting down affect your ability to maintain a posture, right? And that's just a mental thing, 100%, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's sure. solely mental. Um, that's just one example. We do a million things like that. Um, but yeah, I do, I do tons and tons of visualization, which is a, a consistent uh, marker of high performers, a, a consistent thing that high performers do. I, I think this is uh, well known. Um, I have a, a mental coach specifically that kind of holds me accountable for a lot of the things. You know, me and him, we talk a, a lot back and forth about the different, uh, the different, uh, um, ways to create habits. I think that's probably the number one thing is creating habits, right? Um, you know, but you know, he holds me accountable for everything. And I think that's probably the biggest key is just being held accountable for every action that you do. Have you ever used a sensory deprivation tank? Absolutely. My, uh, my strength coach has one. Beautiful. Yeah. I love it. And I go in about 45 to an hour. Um, do you work on shit in there? Do you think about techniques? Um, you know, I don't really. Uh, I use that as a time. So I, I've, I try to practice this form of meditation that I, you know, I can't remember the name of it. This dude, um, Kishnamaru. You ever heard of him? Kishnamaru? I, I don't know why it's not coming to my head right now, but he was one of Bruce Lee's guys. He's an Indian uh, med meditation guy and everything. And um, his form of meditation was to completely clear your mind, which is I guess like it is actually impossible, right? Like there's no way to just have no thought at all. But that's sort of what I try to strive for is go literally no mind at all. What I do is and think about only my breath. That's it. I concentrate yeah. on my breathing in and breathing out. Well, and there's a bunch of other shit that gets in there, but eventually I can kind of overpower it and just think only about breathing in and only and, about and that's breathing what I, out. So that's what I do to, to get to that state, mm -hmm. right? To get to a state where I can release everything. Mm -hmm. But at that point, uh, once I'm, I'm relaxed, then I go for the uh, the no mind, which again is it's impossible. But um, my personal uh, system of visualization or or relaxation is I see the thoughts as clouds, and the, my mind is a sky or space. So you know my mind becomes this gigantic uh, uh, entity. And the thoughts are just clouds that pass by. But again, when I start thinking about things like that, now you're not in the no mind. If you start thinking about your breath, you're not in the no mind. Right. And right. I want to get as close to that as possible because in a fight, in a combat situation, I want no mind. 
Right. That's the that's the way that Musashi talks about. Right. Yeah. Dude, and that's that's Musashi right there. Oh fuck yeah. 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 This book was of a, five rings, a man. play on Musashi. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have yeah, you read man. the book, Musashi? Yeah, yeah, I read that. You put it yeah. on your Instagram. I just put the other it up day. there. Day. Yeah. yeah, I read that, and I read the book of Five Rings when I was sixteen. Changed nice. my life. Nice. That's the one that Louis will. If you work for Louis, all of his staff, you're Louis forced Simmons? to read it. Yeah, Beautiful. Louis Simmons. You have yeah. to read it, dude. Once you yeah, understand the way broadly, time. you can see it in all things. I remember see? reading that when I was sixteen, and I was like, "Ah, oh, I get it." Nice. I was like, "You, when you, when you can get great at something, you can get great at anything. It's mm -hmm. the same thing." Whether it's playing the piano or writing books or fighting or anything, it's the same thing. It's all about yeah. figuring it out, understanding the way. And that's uh, the book, The Art of Learning. Have you read this one? No. Josh Waitzkin, you know, he is. Oh, yeah, The Chess Prodigy that yeah. is a black belt under yeah. uh, Marcelo Garcia. Yeah, yeah. A, yeah. a beautiful, amazing book that's sort of a similar type thing. He's a fucking wizard, man. I've heard him wizard. on uh, Tim Ferriss's podcast. Yep. Super yep. smart guy. That's where I heard of him from. Yeah. yeah, genius. And just so good at understanding how to learn things and teach things. Mm -hmm. I think that mentality, that chess player mentality, because chess is such a, such a complex, cognitive, uh, demanding game. You know, there's so much thinking and planning and so many steps ahead that you have to be and so many moves that you have to have cataloged in your head. You know, and and he goes into beyond just the technical part too when he talks about how he kind of lost his love for it. And mm -hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. it a great book, man. Yeah, well, he's a really fascinating character, and yeah. I love when a guy like that gets obsessed with martial arts mm -hmm. because it changes the way people look at something like jujitsu. Because people on the outside, in particular, they look at jujitsu as like, oh, it's just a bunch of fucking meatheads choking each other, and then they see a guy like that and they go, oh, wait a minute. Josh Waitzkin is in jiu-jitsu? He's a black belt? Huh. Man, that's, that's got to be one of the great things about jiu-jitsu is uh, the amazing people that do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you come out here to L.A., and I mean, I see these people doing jiu-jitsu. I talk to them. like, hey, what do you do? And they're like, oh, you know, I'm a movie you know, top guy or whatever. Or I'm executive or I'm, yeah. a, I'm a CEO. Or I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like, yeah. What are you doing in here? Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie's a fucking black yeah. belt. Yeah. He was on the podcast. And I was like, what? You're a black belt under Henzo? Right. I was like, holy shit. Nice. Yeah, that's legit, man. That's you badass, man. Goddamn black belt under Henzo Gracie. They don't give those away. Maynard James Keenan. Yep. Yep. Oh, he's a buddy of mine. Yeah. I mean, I, I know him a little bit. I, he's I, I, legit as fuck. That yeah, dude does jujitsu and he's got a fake hip. <laughs> I didn't he's know. He's got that. a hip replacement from stomping on stage. Damn, you know how nice. he's always stomping on stage? Didn't he choke someone out on stage? Yeah, he uh, hip tossed some dude, took his back, and uh, got him in a rear naked choke on stage and kept singing. And the dude was going nice. like, yes. <laughs> like, he wasn't hurting the guy. You know, the guy was a fan. It was The whole thing was kind of crazy. Like most, Is it on YouTube or anything? Yeah, yeah. I gotta Jamie see can this. find it. The guy comes up to the guy runs up to him on stage. Maynard has the fucking microphone in his hands. Maynard's another dude. He's he's one of the smartest dudes I know. So smart, stupid smart to the point where he's kind of he's kinda, he kind he gets weird around people because he's <laughs> so goddamn smart. Everybody else is like a baby. So here he's on stage. Uh, you got a big screen. And some dude, some dude jumps onto the stage and rushes him. Where is it at, Jamie? How long is this video? Got to get to when the dude runs on stage. There he is. Oh, okay, get it go before that because he hip tosses. And he's like first. singing this whole yeah. time. 
Look, the guy runs up to me. He's like, yeah. Made her hug him. Boom. Nice. <laughs> Throws him on the ground. Takes his back. <laughs> sings a joke in. And he keeps singing. And then he goes over onto his back and pulls the guy backwards and then keeps singing while he's in full back mount with the hook. And the dude's got his arms. I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that is beautiful. Yeah, and he kept singing the song. This I guy's like fucking a, hilarious. Man, he's a god, man. Yeah, he's the a bad motherfucker. And he's always training. He comes out here, he trains down. He hey, goes down with him to a bit, Henry yeah. Aiken's place and yeah. trains with Dave Camarillo, Half Gracie. He goes everywhere. Yeah, I'm training with him a little bit out there. We were drilling a couple weeks ago over at Henry's. And then yeah. I brought him in Muscle Farm. We did some training there. And Most people, yeah. they get their fucking hip replaced. They're like, that's a wrap. Right? Yeah, and he's like, I got to get my black belt. Like, yeah. Wow. Dude, Mark Coleman had his hip replaced, and he ain't even training. <laughs> yeah, didn't he talk about a both soldier? of them, right? I think he may have had both of them. The one when uh, what do they call it had a problem. Yeah, he had it to, got like, infected. Redone. Yeah, yeah got infected. Had to get redone. Redone, man. Imagine that shit. They cut off the top of your leg. They put a fake hip in there. They put a bolt that goes through the center of the bone, all the way down through the bone. Imagine having to redo that. They got to pull it out, put a <laughs> new one in there. Fuck, man. Imagine just doing it once. I've only had one uh, surgery in my life. I've only went under. Well, I've went under twice now. So what I you guess. Done? Um, the, actually, so twice. Yeah, the first one I had tore the ligament right here. Oh, I, rem I remember that. Yeah, like you were you were talking about that. That was fucking with you for a long time, right? Yeah, probably about a year. I fought like that. Um, well, you couldn't totally make a fist, right? Yeah, it was like this, kind of. So I was like frogging people. <laughs> Ian McCall's still like that. Yeah. Ian McCall's broke his hand so much that his right hand, one mm. of his knuckles, like his pinky or his uh, pointer finger, and it never curls past mm. that. Yeah, well, this wasn't broken. The bones were all intact, but the ligament there was completely torn. So what'd they have yeah. to do? Um, they just went in. They, there's an incision there and just reattached the ligament. And... I came back probably four months later, six, five months later, maybe. That's when they were telling me you'll be fine and everything. And, you know, it took probably a year before it was actually okay. Wow. It's just. Chris Weidman's going through some shit like that right now. He fucked his thumb up in the Kelvin Gastelum fight mm. and then had to get a ligament from his wrist mm. taken out and attached to his thumb because his thumb's ligament was torn. And he still can't fully train, still can't grip really? or fully punch. Yeah, he's waiting. Yeah. yeah, mine, they didn't have to do none of that. But they, they said once they opened it up, there was a lot more stuff in there they had to take out and a lot more that was ripped that they didn't even realize was there. You know how it is with of the MRIs. Yeah. Well, with fighters, like so many guys have shit wrong. They don't even know. Like, did you ever see mm -hmm. Jacare's when they had his uh, elbows cleaned out? No. He uh, he had elbow surgery, and they found chunks of bone and cartilage in his elbow, like a like like a shot glass filled with like shit that really? was floating around inside of his elbow, just from hitting people with elbows and getting armbarred, and not tapping, and shit popping, and oh, snapping, wow. and tearing loose, and hmm. all of it is just fucking mangled. Yeah, because he broke his arm when he's. Hodger. Hodger, right? Yeah. And kept Hodger going. broke his arm yeah. and he tucked it into his belt and kept going. It's badass. And, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was a horrible arm break, too. Like, to me, wrestling is the hardest sport in the world. And I, I love wrestling. I love watching it. I love being a part of it. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't happen in wrestling. Right. Very often. I mean, I, I guess there's probably some. I know uh, Mike Basillo went to the uh, finals with a, a torn pec. Wow. Yeah.
So one takes a yeah. lot. Takes a lot. I to guess do it that. does happen in wrestling. I shouldn't say that. Yeah, that's a different. Yeah, never mind. That situation was just he was up on points and he just needed to survive for a he couple. He won of the match, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Won the match. Man. Well, you remember when John Jones fought uh, Vitor? Vitor completely mm -hmm. hyper extended his arm. That Did was it break? when I don't know if it broke, but it was fucked up for mm. a long time. I mean, it was bent like this the other way just mm. completely bent backwards like i was convinced he was gonna tap i was like he's gotta tap i thought he was too and vitor like let it go a little yeah it looked like he let it go it was weird yeah i remember that yeah and um it, like I'm, uh, think of if it, if he finishes that crazy the the world changes yeah the whole world of yeah. light heavyweight changes yeah vitor's life changes and, yeah everything yeah. changes vitor becomes a champ yeah the whole thing changes. John Jones, not the greatest ever. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, is up in the air or whatever. But. I think he's the greatest ever performance-wise. We were talking about performance-wise earlier before the podcast started mm. versus, like, we were talking about Cain Velasquez. Performance-wise, like, uh, the actual results versus what you think about their ability. You know, I think Kane, yeah. when he was at the time, I never saw anybody like Kane when he was in his prime. 240 pounds, unfucking godly cardio. We just never stopped coming at you. Excellent yeah, striking yeah, yeah. technique. Take a tremendous my shot. Th my, th my whole thing with it, though, is as soon as you test positive once, I, right. I take you out of the greatest period. Right. It's just against the rules. I, I'm not even against steroids. Like, take steroids. You know, like, if, if it's your endocrinologist tells you to take steroids, go fucking do it. Good. Good for you. But... In our sport, unfortunately, it's against the rules, so there's only a certain amount of people doing it. So if you're doing it, you're cheating. Right. And But do you think John was taking steroids? I don't know. I don't, it, think, but he, it, I don't think he was. But to be honest, um, it doesn't matter right. to me. I mean, you know, I've said this for a long time. I think it should be a lifetime ban, first offense, really? period, yeah. And there's going to be martyrs. There would be guys like, I don't think Tim Means was taking steroids. Like, he wasn't. He certainly did not look well, like it. they proved it. They yeah. proved that he wasn't. Oh, really? I didn't yeah, know it went that far. It. Okay, so. They found the supplement that he was taking that was a totally legal supplement. Okay. You get a bunch of shit so from if you these get, but, small but, companies, or these uh, companies, rather, that get it from China, and they they have these bins. And, like, we had a problem with that with the Alpha Brain when we first had, not steroids, but vitamins that were in Alpha Brain that weren't supposed that to be in there. That weren't supposed to be there. We have all our stuff independently tested and when we had it independently tested it turned out that the mixers that when they were putting all the different ingredients in they would be putting in, the, in these vats and they had used these vats for other shit and had it completely cleaned it out and this mm. is a problem with companies that sell steroids and also sell things like creatine like this is the this is the big story about john jones this is the big rumor this is what they, were, they think is that he was doing coke that had creatine in it. Yeah, I heard It was this. cut with yeah, creatine, yeah. and that creatine probably had trace elements of steroids. The reason why that makes sense is because he tested negative right before that test, and then tested positive, and then tested negative again a short time after that. This is a steroid that takes several months to get out of your system, but it got out of his system very quickly, mm -hmm. which would indicate it was a very, very small trace amount. Not an amount that you would take if you were actually using it to try to, you know, to get a performance-enhancing benefit. That's what I, th I, I believe okay. it. It makes sense to me. And yeah. so it makes sense fair to enough. Nowitzki, too. Uh, it's fair enough. And it, I, I'm certainly there's cases. So under in my world where, okay, first offense, lifetime ban, I think a lot of guys would be a lot more careful with things like that, for one. And I think, uh, you know, there would be a due process. So, you know, say he proved that, or like Tim Means, you know, proved it. Right. You know, he comes right back, right? Um, and I also think, uh, unfortunately, there would be people that 
would probably uh, have no bad intention and would uh, have the you know end up testing positive and having a lifetime ban. And they would be martyrs, basically. And I can't, I can't sign off on martyrs, man. Too many dudes have dreams, you know. For sure, for what sure. About, what about you? Like, what if you accidentally yeah. took some creatine and well, had some bullshit in I, it? Personally, I'm extremely uh, diligent. I do my, you know, right. I do my due diligence, man. Like, I, I work with Muscle Farm for years right. now, and like, I know that. And they have great stuff. Yeah, they make they have yeah. great stuff. I know that it's good stuff, and that's my primary supplement source. Um, I mean, I, I'm. I don't go do coke. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. I, if if you do those things and something bad happens to you, that's your fault. You know what I mean? If 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 for instance he was doing coke, and uh, he, you know, not knock on John Jones either. I mean, it's a, it's a I'm not living his life. I mean, it's a, he's in a difficult situation as a young kid. Um, you know, with God, I mean, the I can only imagine the amount of people approaching him for crazy things and trying to talk him into all these yeah. things. So, so I, I have some sympathy for his situation, but you know, you make the choice; you have to pay the consequences for the choice. I agree that you should pay the con the cho the consequences for the choice. I just don't agree that the price should be so high. No. You know, like like when you think about a guy like Anderson Silva, like Anderson Silva just tested positive again. Again, do you think that that takes him out of the consideration for the greatest of all time? In my mind, one hundred percent. See, I feel like Even he's doing it because he's old. I feel like he's doing it because he's <laughs> so, forty. So we again, we can feel whatever right. we want to feel, right? I, right? I mean, I feel like he probably wasn't doing it the whole time, but he might have been. Yeah, but do I know? Yeah. Hell no, I don't know. Did you ever see his trainer? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he trained uh, Eric Silva when I fought him. And, you know, his trainer looks ridiculous. Yeah. He's set like 70 years old. He's just fucking jacked. Yep. <laughs> it just looks like the Hulk. He's got like 5% body fat at 60 years old. He's so big. <laughs> like I sent a picture to, of, da of the guy to Dana, and I go, this is Anderson's trainer, LOL. <laughs> and, and, and Dana sends me back, holy shit, are you serious? I go, yeah, that's his trainer. Oh, the man. fucking guy's so jacked. Dana's certainly seen him around the UFC. Yeah. He's trained lots of guys. Is that? That's, that's a, not That's him. a different guy, man. Is that, is Unless that, he's younger. Is no, younger. no, it's uh, he's a, right there the guy he above is. it with the, the white top. shirt. That guy. No, no, no. Yeah, that guy right okay, there. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah but that's the, him. Look to the picture to the left. Is yeah, even to the more. left is the one. Yeah, that's the picture I sent yeah. Dana. <laughs> <laughs> he's so jacked. I mean, his fucking abs stick out like like biceps. Each one of his abs looks like a, a bodybuilder's bicep just glued to his stomach. That's <laughs> <laughs> so jacked. Oh, that's great. Listen, there, folks. There's like. You can get big at 60. You could be pretty built at 60. You can't be that built. It's not possible. It's, it's like 0.01% of the population yeah. that can do that, maybe. Yeah, and they all live in Africa. Yeah. They all, they all yeah. have, like, super genes. Yeah. You know, they're all like Francis Ngannou's relatives. <laughs> <laughs> There's so few people that are built like that naturally. Oh, that's just, good, man. Not at that age. You know, at that age, you know, your body starts to diminish. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Uh, do you know that he's that old for sure? Yeah, that guy's old. Yeah, yeah, he's in his sixties. Yeah, that's, that's funny. Yeah, he's. A, I think he's an ex gym, right? Is, is that his? I, I think he know. trained Jocker. I know he trained Eric Silva, who was at X Gym. He was in his corner, and, mm -hmm. and I was like, I'm glad I'm fighting a little guy, not him. Yeah, Eric <laughs> Silva changed, boy. You want to talk about a post USADA guy. Yeah. Like, he's he's one of him and Vitor, but Vitor obviously was a testosterone replacement therapy. But him and uh, I think Johnny Hendricks was probably the most obvious, right? Performance wise, yeah. for sure. You got, you got yeah. to wonder about Hendricks, like, how much of it was burnout, how much of it was. Possibly he was taking something. You got to say it possibly because he never tested positive for anything. Yeah, but, absolutely, yeah. But dude, he was 
launching people across Dude, the I, I was the last fight before USADA when I fought him. You know, I felt his strength. I seen his body. I mean, yeah. you know, I felt it firsthand. You know, this is a completely different world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially completely, completely different compared to now. He yeah. doesn't look the same. Yeah. He doesn't fight the same. It's like it's certainly part part of that has to be motivation too. I mean, yeah. he's just there's no way he he's under the same uh, mental uh, aspiration that he had before. He's but just also he just looks at it differently. Could be also because his hormones are all fucked up. If uh, absolutely, this is yeah. a big speculation. If he was on something and then he's off, his hormones crash. Yep. There's no way they can't. That's just how and it that, works. And that affects your mind, right? A hundred percent. I mean, I've, I've never taken it, but I mean, I see people that go on and off of it and they're like depressed. And Yeah, look at yeah. Vitor. Remember when Vitor mm -hmm. came back? I mean, there's so many pictures of Vitor when he fought like Michael Bisping. And then you see Vitor after USADA. And he just he's got that old man bod, and he goes in there, and his body's kind of like loose, and it just mm -hmm. your body's not producing hormones anymore. Vitor yeah. was on that shit when he was nineteen, man. Oh, was he? Oh, well, yeah, I guess yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know why I'm asking. When he fought yeah. Randy, and he was two hundred and forty yeah. pounds, and his neck started up here. Mm. His neck started about two inches above his ears, and just went down straight to his shoulders. <laughs> fucking. <laughs> He's so fast. It's like ridiculously fast. Yeah. yeah, especially when he fought Tank. Well, when he was about 205, any... he was ridiculously fast. Yeah, because I, I wonder if there's any, I was going to say, uh, like, if, if you slow down when you stop taking that stuff, like, like if your muscles actually, uh, you know, your fast twitch muscles go away or something oh, like you, that. Uh, your you whole know? body crashes. Right. When you're that jacked up on steroids, your whole body, first of all, your your balls are just like on vacation. I mean, I know you get stronger, but what about, you know, speed, though? That's a different thing. It's a, a lot of speed is from uh, a neurological, right? It's a lot of, uh, you know, the nervous system. Mm -hmm. So I wonder, you know, about the effects. On it. Did you see the study uh, Andy Galpin just came out with? Which one? He just posted it the other day about uh, epigenetic memory of muscles. Yes. So this is, I think, a big problem with the steroids because... I uh, say I do steroids when I'm 19. Now my muscles get jacked, and now my muscles remember how yes. to get that jacked again. Um, even though I'm off steroids for 10 years, and then I come back at 30 and and redo it. That's a very good point. That's a very good point, mm -hmm. and and a very real point. Yeah, your your body has muscle memory, and especially if you do it when you're young, and then your body has an adequate amount of time to rebuild, and you start mm -hmm. developing a natural hormone level. It also increases your tendon strength. It increases, mm -hmm. increases ligament strength. I mean, it just your body changes. It, ch it changes the density of your muscles, of your bones. It just does. A, there's a lot of. I mean, and then there's another argument for women. Women that have taken steroids. It's an even more intense argument because you're putting supernatural levels of testosterone in a woman's body. They develop all this new muscle tissue that never would have been there without it. And a certain amount of that sticks around. Mm. And, you know, you might not even ever been able to develop that kind of strength without it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what, that was the first thing I thought of when I seen that study. Yeah. And that was where I was like, you know, there's, there's always a lot more to it than, than, than meets the eye. Yeah, 100%. Mm. Yeah, and, you know, with uh, the kind of cheating that they've been doing in Russia. You know, did you see that movie Icarus? No, no, it's on Netflix, right? Yeah, I know got, what you're talking about. I want to see it. It's fucking crazy. I just watch so little TV. I just miss everything. Yeah. Every every day, someone did you see this on Netflix? 
Nah, I planned on it. It's on my queue. It'll make you. <laughs> it'll make you. It'll make you curious and mad at the same time. Really? Because they had a state sponsored state sponsored doping program. Russia had oh, all yeah. their athletes. I think it's pretty well known, cheating. right? I mean, yeah, but this was proven. So, okay, so the they, guy they dig who deep was into doing it. it, the guy who was doing it, uh, is in this documentary, and he was helping this guy Brian Fogel do a bike race. What Brian Fogel did was he did a bike race with nothing, and then he wanted to get juiced up and see what the difference is. Uh, with the next year, do the same race, but do it on everything. And so mm. he contacted this Russian guy who is the head of anti-doping in Russia. Well, this guy along the way from doping up Brian Fogel, they all got busted. And when they got busted, not Brian Fogel, the, the Olympics mm. in, in Russia, the, um, they had the Sochi Olympics, they found out that people had tam tampered with samples and a bunch of shit started coming out about it and then it became this gigantic scandal. He fled Russia, came to the United States and testified and told everything that he did. They opened up Fuck. these supposedly unopenable sample jars and replaced the bad urine with clean urine. They had frozen urine and then they had a hole in the wall where they were passing urine back oh, and man. forth and p replacing the old stuff with Was clean stuff. Was it specific stuff. to a, a certain sp a specific sport? No, no every oh, sport. Sports. Across the board, Oof. and they had a record number of gold medals that year. Everybody's juiced to the tits, <laughs> and everybody's pissing clean. That's the tough thing about everybody goes into the Russian training methods and how they're superior and everything. And you're like, well, a little bit of that, a yeah, little yeah, bit of this. Yeah. I mean, there's some great Russian training methods for sure. I mean, the Russians Absolutely. invented the kettlebells. Russians have uh, super technical wrestling instruction, and there's some, without a doubt, some great Russian training methods, but it's also because sports means so much to them yeah, on a national say, level. Like they, were, they were also state-sponsored yeah. scientists rather than, you know, in America where it's, you know, if you're a professor or something, you just do what you want to do for your, you know, for your athletes or whatever. Well, we have to yeah. realize that their best athletes are all amateurs. Yeah. They don't have professional sports. Uh, boxing. Yeah, but that's yeah. it. I mean, and they don't have, well, they have MMA too, Fedor, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. But they don't have like NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, hockey. Right. Where they right, don't right. have like this true, professional yeah. venue like we do over here. So a lot of their greatest athletes go into amateur Olympics. Mm. And so they're juicing these fucking people up for Soviet glory. They're doing it for the glory of the country. Right, and it's right. sponsored by the state. And they outline in this documentary from Putin all the way down, people working for Putin, who this guy, this Gregory guy, who is the guy who was in charge of all the state-sponsored doping. It's fucking madness. And it makes you wonder, you know, I mean, nobody wants to say, like Fedor in Pride was the motherfucker, right? I mean, he was the loved motherfucker. It. Loved it. Um, an animal. And it makes you wonder. It makes you wonder. Like, what was <laughs> going on over there? Ooh. Loved it, man. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, that's one of the best. I think uh, Crow Cop Fedor. Woo! Man, that was, uh, like, for me, was probably, like, the, the most intense. I had to stay up for it. Yeah. And I just remembered... Waiting, watching them walk out, just eyes. Those are like at three o'clock in the morning, out. right? Yeah, I remember it was yeah. really late at night. I remember it was snowing and shit. Fuck. And yeah, I, I, thought, I don't know why I remember that, but like I was sad, like, I'm not fucking going anywhere, man. I'm sitting here watching this, the eyes bulging out, just you know, I didn't care, man. Yeah, Fedor versus Noguera. It's so rare that yeah. fights are like that anymore. I mean, there's certainly mm -hmm. some yeah. that come up here and there, but. Man, those to me were the glory days, man. Yeah, because because well, we waited how long to see the fight? 
Yeah. You know, it's like three, four months. There's no fights in between. Right. You know, there's like one UFC fight or something, and we're just like, dude, this is the fight. This is the Super Bowl that everybody's been waiting the whole season for. Do you think there's for. too many fights now? I don't know. I like it. I like that there's a lot of fights. Yeah. But I, I also think that some of them get overlooked. Absolutely, absolutely. And, like, I wish... There's a side of me that wishes it was the way it was back in the day, and there's a side of me that's like, I do. This is what we all wanted from the beginning. Right. You know, we wanted fights every weekend, but uh, again, unfortunately, it it does take away from that gigantic fight. Yeah. You know, those are harder to make these days. But and I think that's why they're doing the champ versus champ thing. They're trying to make those big fights again. Yeah, I think so too. But if you only have those fights every three or four months, there's no way you're going to have enough fights for all the athletes in the UFC. Absolutely. Yeah. That's. Yeah, big part of the issue is there's yeah. 500 fighters on roster. Plus, yep. I think there's more now. Actually, uh, the only thing I, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm no one to say how to do it, but I, I kind of wish there was like a, you know, the UFC fight night and then the the pay per view and the, you know they have all these different things, but they don't seem to. I mean, I think they may be moving towards it where the, there's sort of a you know the smaller fights work up. Like you, you do like a UFC fight night three or four times, build an audience. Now we put you on pay per view for the big fight. You get what I'm saying? So, something, yeah, something yeah. like this, like not necessarily like a feeder, but you know, within the organization, a feeder. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, more structured. I mean, I, I love the big events that they have every year, like the Fourth of July event, the New Year's event, the Madison Square Garden event. They have a year where they just stack it and just have yeah. just a ton of of big time fights. But you know, like. I liked Eric Anders Leota Machida last week too, mm. you know? I mean I like I like that too, where it's maybe a, a fight that not a lot of people are watching, maybe less people are watching, but it's an interesting fight yeah. still. Yeah, I didn't get to watch it. I, just, I, <laughs> I don't have cable anymore, so You don't? Yeah. Don't even have cable. Like we use Netflix, my wife does. But do but you have uh do you honestly, have the UFC app? I do have the UFC app. Was it on there? Yeah. Well, um, that it wasn't, but it probably will be. How long after? Yeah, it will be. That, and that's how long a, do they wait before from Fox Sports One till it's on the UFC? Yeah, app? I, don't, I don't even know. I mean, that's the thing, though. Is I can I sit there and watch that. If I'm watching anything, it's always fights on there or YouTube. I just yeah. watch Muay Thai fights all day. That's like my favorite thing to oh, do. Oh, do you? Yeah. I just do you see lo- Sanchez latest? Uh, the question mark that? kick? Yeah. yeah. Ooh, yeah. dude. Where he got pulled up his shorts right yeah. after he did it, too. <laughs> this guy, man. I he's love him. He's wild, man. I he's, love him. Sanchai is so interesting to me because he's different than any other TIE fighter in his movements. He's Absolutely. so light on his feet, mm-hmm. constantly switching stances, and he's just... He's a Floyd Mayweather of Muay Thai. Yeah, yeah. man. Yeah, that's a guy I'm going to try to get out here for... You know, like what I'm doing with Muscle Farm is some things I could try to help them build a team and everything. And he's one of the guys I want to get out for a seminar and kind of be, a, you know, Please affiliate with him. Please let me man. know. Yeah, if I will, you have, yeah. I want to meet that guy. Yeah, I really want to get him because it's not just the, you know, the way that he fights in the ring, but the way that he trains, man. Yeah. Like he, I mean, he trains hard. Hard. You know, you watch these yeah. videos of him, you're like, dude. And it's so easy for him. That's the yeah. weird part, right? Like, I mean, he'll he'll do like thirty kicks in a row. Yeah. Like, dude, how did you just do that? And and you're like smile. <laughs> yeah. Well, he doesn't kick like. He's loose, man. Yeah. He's, so loose. he's not loose like a hips. Liam Harrison guy that is. Yeah. Every yeah, kick yeah. is fucking hundred and fifty percent. He's like pop 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 pop, and he just keeps going, just keeps going, just his keeps eyes, going. His eyes, yeah. man. I, I don't oh. know if it's something you can even train. I mean, he's like the. I'd say more like the Lomachenko of yes. of. Uh, 
Muay Thai, right? Yeah. Where his eyes, man, he just sees. Yeah. Like that question mark kick. Yep. I mean, he just knows. Yeah, there he is. Yeah. And you look at his body, man, and he ain't a scary, impressive guy. Like, <laughs> no. you look at Bukow. Bukow's jacked. You know, giant fucking ab muscles, yeah. just ripped. Sanchai just looks like a guy who works out a little bit. <laughs> so true. <laughs> but meanwhile, he just fucks people up, man. And he's so slick with his movement. Like, even when he's hitting the pads, who hits pads like this where he's never, he never stops moving his feet? So relaxed. So relaxed Relaxing. and so fluid. What's interesting to me is the feet. Just never stops moving his feet. And that's mm -hmm. just, I don't understand why more people don't emulate his style. Because he's obviously a traditionally trained Thai fighter, but has adapted everything to a, a much more dynamic and fluid method. Man, it's like, uh, you, you know, when I watch Sanchai and Loma Chica, I watch the shit out of these guys, right? Mm. And so like, I watch Liam Harrison, right? Or John Wayne Parr, uh, um, Raymond Deckers, you know, these, these great Muay Thai guys, right? And they inspire me. I'm like, yeah. dude, I want to fucking go do it. And then I watch Sanchai, I watch Loma Chica. I'm like, why do I do this? Right, right. right. It's the next level. I, uh, do I? Should, why am I even going to the gym? I can't. Look at this. I can't bop, do bop, this. Bop, 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 yeah, that's what bop. I'm talking about yeah. right there. And yeah. so fluid and Just relax. Look at him. He's not even getting tired. I mean, look at his face. He doesn't even. I mean, he could do this all day. All day, and I mean, he could do it in his kitchen while he's cooking. You know, and he's 36. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's really incredible. He's I mean, something special. That's the most uh the most facial expression I've ever seen on him right there. Yeah, it's probably Other the than end smiling. Of 150 <laughs> rounds at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the guy's constantly training, constantly in the gym and one of the things that I like about the way the Thai spar too is that they play. Mm -hmm. Like they're tapping each other. Yep. They're just working on their timing and their movement and they're not hurting each other. They're saving it for fights. Yeah, well they fight every week. Yeah. 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 My and coach uh Dorian Price, he's over there right now and yeah. I mean it, man, they just they fight all every week, man. I follow him yeah. on Instagram. Oh nice, yeah. nice, nice. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a bad a, motherfucker. Amazing, I like amazing fight. person, man. Just a, one of the best guys you'll ever meet in your life, man. I you like can't. one of the things he said recently. He's like, yeah, I'm wearing the same what, uh, gray T-shirt and the same shorts. He goes, I'm not here for a fucking fashion show. <laughs> I'm here to train. I'm in Thailand. Yeah, that's, it's hot that's as hell. For I'm you. here to get my work in. Yeah, and he yeah. goes over to Holland with Ray and Simpson and um, another guy I hope to get over here. Too. He was showing on one of his Instagram posts. He was like, "These are my five star accommodations." He had a, yep. a white plastic <laughs> bucket. This is how I shower. You know, like he's over there doing the real deal, like, yeah, like a yeah. real Tie Fighter. Yep, yep. He's so that's where he actually goes up to. Um, I, don't, I don't. I don't think he still goes up there, but he used to go up to Asan, which is the northern part of Thailand. And originally, they didn't let foreigners up there. He would go to Sitman Chai. He was the first foreigner that they let in that really? camp. And that was his dream. He wanted to live like a, a Tie Fighter, wow. like a savage, and that's, awesome. that's where I'm. I'm lucky to have a friend like him because he brings the the Thai style back to me, and that's why I've never had to go to Thailand. Like he goes over, he'll only come back for my camps. He's had tons of people offer, and he won't come back for no one else. That's he's, awesome. He's been uh, so when, when I was telling you a story about going, you know, started this Japanese jiu-jitsu place. The first gym I went into, he was there, wow. and you know, we both. Uh, started together and he won it. Well, he he'd already started actually. He was out in uh, Virginia, and then just moved to Columbus. But he won. We both wanted to do Muay Thai, and I was like, dude, there's no money in Muay Thai. You do that shit. <laughs> and, 
so he went to Muay Thai, and I, st I went with MMA. Of course, he went with MMA for a little while. And Dude, I wish there was money in Muay Thai. I love I watching Lion Fight. I, I love watching it. And I, I preferred that even over regular kickboxing. I like the oh, elbows. Totally, yeah. Yeah, I just yeah, why think, they limit it? Yeah, why limit it? I just, I mean, I think they limited it for K1 because they thought it would create more action with less clinching, but... Yeah, it's garbage. It is, right? It's part I of mean, the art. I mean, not garbage. It's not I shouldn't garbage. say that. I, I still enjoy that. watching Bellator kickboxing. I love Glory because yeah, they just have some wild-ass fights, but mm. a lot of those guys that are the top of the food chain guys are Muay Thai guys. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Ross is in Bellator sure. now. I mean, this guy elbowed the shit John out of everybody. John Wayne. Yeah. Joe Schilling. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, these are elbow guys. Yeah, elbow guys. Yeah, yeah. and... Uh, Man, I've always thought that if they marketed Muay Thai like they do the kickboxing, I think it would blow up a lot better. But when you take Muay Thai, like Lion Fights, and they're, they're playing the Snake Charmer music, and yeah. they got the Mong Kongs, and they're yeah. dancing around Y crewing and shit, and everybody's like, dude, I don't want to see this garbage. I want to see some fucking blood. Yeah, it's hard for people to appreciate the tradition, but I don't, you know, I, I respect their tradition. You know what someone explained yeah, to me? They said that what's beautiful about the Mong Kong and the, the Y crew is that you get relaxed. It's like mm. you're out there dancing and then you can put on your best performance because you're nice. already in front of all those people and you kind of loosen up. And then doing that, no, that's I, one of the benefits I, I, of that. I personally, I love it. I think it's awesome and I'll watch it all day long. Um, but I don't think the casual American fan is ever going to be attracted to that. I wonder. You know, I wonder if they could be talked into it. It just seems like what happened with MMA was like lightning in a bottle. That Forrest Griffin, Stefan Bonner fight on TV, on Spike TV, nobody knew what the fuck it was at the time. You're watching MMA for the first time, you see that crazy shit. These guys are just throwing down wild haymakers and head kicks and takedowns and ah, and then exhausted. I mean, these guys just drain themselves out. I think those guys made the UFC. I think in that one fight, it's one of those weird moments lightning in a bottle you know at one point in time they estimate there was as many as 10 million people watching that fight really for and it started with just a couple of million like the event started with just yeah, a couple million people friend. yes dude, exactly gotta watch this. dude these guys are fucking going crazy <laughs> and that one fight being so good i think made mma i think it just was the launching point and then after that people got into it and then they started saying holy shit this is awesome and then all the other fights and then it became the thing that it is today but i think that lightning in a bottle moment it's hard to recreate and with muay thai it just never happened there's no there's no lightning in a bottle moment and i don't know how you would recreate that today it seems like all the stars were aligned right because now today reality tv shows are kind of they're so saturated. There's so many of them. Back then, there wasn't as many. So to have the ultimate fighter, we got these guys in a house, and they're all competing, and they're going to fight for this six-figure contract on television. It was a big deal. It was a big show to watch. But now, there's like everybody's watching people fucking selling cars and pawn shops, and they're living in the woods, and people are making moonshine. It's like, fuck, man. There's so many reality shows, it's almost oversaturated to the point where if you had a Muay Thai show, it's like, well, okay, here's another th crazy thing people are doing. Oh, this guy's well, living did. with they bears. Well, they did. contender. That Muay Thai contender. That's right. They yeah. did, right? Did that even air here? Uh, I watched it. Did it air in America? Yeah. I, I don't know how I watched it. Maybe on YouTube or something. Because the contender here was a boxing it. show, right? Yeah, but they, they had, had the, the contender, contender Muay Asia. Thai also. Was it called the Contender Asia? Is that what it was yeah, called? Yeah, I don't remember. I remember John Wayne Parr was on it, Yotes and Clyde. Right, yeah. right, right. That's uh, I don't remember it. That There's well. another bad motherfucker, Yachts and Cly. Holy shit! Right. <laughs> he just came back. Did he? Mm. Oh, he retired for a little bit, yeah, right? He just fought, I think, uh, last weekend, maybe. Or something oh like that. man. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's just to me, it's one of the great unsung combat sports. And you know, all these people that are watching boxing, and I love boxing, but you know, if HBO just really wanted to get down and dirty, come on, HBO, show me some Muay Thai. That'd just be the shit. push it. <laughs> that would be so amazing. Have Sanchai on. Can yeah. you imagine? Or maybe ESPN. You know, instead yeah. of instead of having these uh, commentators, these narrators that are just dipshits and and you know every time they talk about mma i almost yeah. vomit i mean it's just ridiculous and then uh you know instead of these garbage shows they have they have golf you yeah. know like it, right i mean some of the uh, they have like a darts i've seen <laughs> fucking darts on espn but you can't show a, a kickboxing match come on well you know what man i think there's a problem with commentary with sports that leaks into MMA and I don't think it belongs there and I've fought against it from the beginning and that's the, the the insult commentary there's a kind of like calling people bums and calling people losers and you know and get, out, get out of the game Snoop you know, Dogg that piece of shit do you know I'll like, call him out. What, what's what, what don't you like about Snoop Dogg? He called uh, Connor. Oh, Mary called yeah. him a bitch. That was a mess. That no, was a mess. That's Absolute not cool, Floyd man. Mayweather no. fight. That was a mess. I think he was fucked I've, up. I don't care. Yeah. You know, he, he put it on public. He could have, you know, apologized, deleted, whatever. You know. Yeah. If I go to the UFC PI, I might just punch him if I see him there. Whoa. I'm cool with that. Look out, Snoop. <laughs> you don't want none of that, Snoop. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I'm just saying that, that really offends me, man. Because you know what, man, Connor, you know people all have their opinions about him. I respect the shit out of that guy. I love what he's done. I love, I, uh, do I love his shtick. Um, I think he's a he's a true um, uh, sportsman. I mean, I like it. he comes into the limelight for a little while and then he goes back. And I think he goes back and he works his ass off. Yeah, I, I really think he does. Well, uh, he definitely he, does. Yeah, he I mean, he wouldn't does. be where he's at if he didn't, right? Yeah. Um, you know, but everybody judges him by, you know, what he, he does out here. Well, but. listen, what he did was make $100 million fighting against the greatest right. boxer of all time for his and first professional well. boxing match. And did well. Did well. Yeah, yeah. And won a couple of rounds, which is fucking crazy. Yeah. You know, that's fucking crazy. Right. I mean, I think Floyd. I think, Took off. I, th I think the he vast did. majority of people could, uh, of good fighters, could win a round against Floyd. Just because Floyd, I don't know if I say gives him away, but. You know he's gonna feel you. He's he, you know I mean he's that's the way he fights. He's mm -hmm. he fought everybody like that. You yeah, know? and he rarely wins the first few rounds. Agreed. Yeah, but but that's not taking away nothing from Connor. Though. He, he didn't want to get clipped by that left uppercut. That wasn't <laughs> not. that wasn't on his right. plans. You're right. Yeah. 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 Um, I just think the what I'm talking about is like the commentators and a lot of the journalists, and you see less of it today because I Stephen think Stephen A. Smith. Yeah, that kind of style. Yeah. There's a style, and this is their shtick. Their shtick is mocking people and creating controversy. Yeah. And I, that's why I say I don't think MMA is a sport. I think it's more intense. It's, you're emptying out out there. You know, when, when you see a fight, you know, and it's a crazy-ass war like Robbie Lawler, Rafael Dos Anjos, where it's just five rounds of chaos – to to diminish either one of these guys as a man as a human being based on their performance to mock them or belittle them I just don't think it has any place in that. I think that's it's a way more intense and way more personal Experience for those guys. It's so not true. it's not playing baseball. It's not it's not fucking Bill Buckner dropping a ball. It's not. That's not what it is, man. It's way more intense. If you got a guy who's a lazy football player who doesn't run fast enough, you want to mock him. That's 
whatever. You go ahead and do that. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. But you want to make fun of a guy who's literally putting his health on the line in, a, in an occupation where you're competing against a motherfucking trained killer. And you guys are going to throw bones at each other for five-minute rounds. you got to have some respect. You have to have respect or you shouldn't be talking about it. You should have more. some understanding of it. You should know what the fuck you're watching. And you should have some respect. And if you want to say that a guy should retire, if you want to say that a guy has probably seen his better days, that's fine. But have some respect. This is a different thing, man. It is not a regular sport. I agree. And I think I would say also that um, they have no right to be saying things that they've never done, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean you, you, you just can't. You don't have to compete, right? Like, like you do jujitsu and Muay Thai and shit, and like you get such a more in-depth knowledge about what they're truly going through, right, or, and what's happening by just experiencing it a little bit, right? There's that, and there's also, I think, if you've never really been punched in the face, and you're you're talking about guys getting punched in the face, like you really don't even understand the experience. <laughs> or if you never, even worse, I mean, you've been never been punched in the face and there's nothing you can do about it like you've been right you've been i mean the worst i ever had i went down to cuba for a little while and i trained with the olympic boxing team down when there when did you do this um 2012 i think yeah i think it yeah. what was how did this come about was that uh, was it even legal to go down there back then did you go on a raft uh, <laughs> how did you get down there um i think i'm past the uh, what would they call statue it? Statue of limitations. Statue of limitations. So it's actually illegal to spend money there. So I didn't spend any money there. But <laughs> I, I went there, and it, I guess it's not illegal to actually go there. So we went through Mexico City. You go to Mexico City, then you buy a flight in Mexico City and you go wow. over there. My uh, One of my coaches I worked with for a long time on and off is a Cuban, and he grew up there. And he we went there together. He's a part of the um, – he used to coach the wrestling team. So I went there and trained with the wrestlers. Uh, for six, eight weeks, and we'd go over to the boxing team every now and then. Well, I, I went with one guy. He was a two-time gold medalist, I think, and I've never seen boxing like that in my life. I mean, I've never felt anything, and there's nothing I could do, nothing. I mean, I tried every fucking trick in the book. I tried every athletic move. I Hands up, hands down, hands aside, whatever, nothing. I mean, I've never seen boxing. And, I mean, two-time gold medalist. I mean, he, he was an amazing, amazing boss. I can't remember his name or anything, but, and, you know, just never experienced anything like it. And it was the same with the wrestlers. I mean, I went with uh, some guys that um, I got to go with Mijan Lopez. He's heavyweight, of course, Greco. I don't know if you know who he is. Greatest Greco next to Carolyn, um, rivaling Carolyn in the greatest ever. Um uh, you know, I went with this guy Ivan Fundor, who you had been asking last week. He was a guy who uh, I think I think he was the guy that Askren couldn't get past for the Olympics. And I know that uh, Fundor beat him, but um, he teched him. So you know, Askren's you know amaz as amazing as he is. I mean, that's how much better Fundor is. Yeah, to explain teched him for people, it was fifteen was it fifteen points? Um, I don't know what it is in international. Actually, I think it's, I thought it was only like nine or ten, but whatever. You gotta get, so you you get, gotta get way ahead, ahead of someone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean he he worked him over, um, you know. So I got to work with these just uh, amazing guys. Uh, but the boxing, you know, that's what we were talking about. And I mean, I, I've literally to to experience like this guy is punching you, and there's nothing you can do. Yeah, nothing. You don't have. To, we're in a little ring, and I mean, you don't have a choice. So you can get out of the ring, or you can get punched. You're that, just getting. That's your only choice. 
just getting boxed up. Boxed up. And, and I mean, and, and he's moving, you know, like Sanchai, relaxed yeah. and chilled. And he's like, what do you want? You know, you, yeah. you go fucking do something or what? You know? Wow. I mean, not talking to me like that, but. But, but yeah. doing it with his motions. Yeah. 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 Terrible. But yeah. Uh, what an amazing place, though, man. You know, I feel really bad for those people. The, um, what an experience, man. Just a different world. You feel like you're going back in the 50s. Where'd you eat over there? How do you eat? Uh, so we stayed with Ivan Fundora and his wife would actually cook for us every day. Um, but there's restaurants and stuff too. I mean, it's like a dollar or two. And we went to this one place just about every day. There was a, they'd serve a big bowl of spaghetti, like this big around and this big, just a gigantic bowl for like a dollar. Wow. Had uh, chicken on top. They don't, um, they don't have really have red meat. I guess it's only for the wealthy or for the top people. I, I don't know if it's illegal or something, but. Um, but what, to witness the, uh, uh, Levon Lopez is who we stayed with originally. So to witness the way they live was really fascinating. Cause so in their wrestling dorms, they have, uh, it's like six stories high. We had to walk to the bottom to get a five gallon bucket of water to take a bath. They had no running water upstairs, take a bath. That's how you brush your teeth. That's how you do everything. The guys on the top floor are the first level, first team, the varsity team, so to speak, uh, you know, the first level guys, um, they get. Uh, four meals a day and they get uh, air conditioning in the room the guys right below them the second team they got three meals a day and no air conditioning Whoa. so these guys are literally fighting for their food and for uh, uh you know for the next level and i mean i've seen fights break out i've seen guys trying to hurt each other in the wrestling room um i mean it's fucking intense day in day out man they have some incredible genetics over there too incredible That's you look at Incredible. a guy like Yoel Romero. That motherfucker yeah. looks like he was made in a lab somewhere. Mm. Like some scientists just spliced together all the perfect attributes. And, and just to be clear, like don't quote me on that. Like that's kind of how I heard through, you know, like translation. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So I, I maybe if, if I got something wrong, I don't want some, you know, a bunch of Cubans trying to beat me up for quoting right. it wrong or anything. But um, what is like I said, it's an amazing place, man. And those guys are just, they're fighting for their food, man. And I seen I seen one kid. He was the cousin of Levon Lopez. Levon's a bronze medalist and probably should have been gold medalist. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to. The Olympics have a lot of kind of behind the scenes stuff that people don't know about. Yeah, that I'm not sure if I'm really at liberty to speak out about in public. You know, because it's rumors, right? No, there's facts. Like what? There's certainly facts. Well, I said I, I'm right. not sure that I can really talk about it in public. I wouldn't want to hurt any of I see any saying. of those guys. But um, you know, his cousin came from uh, Pinar del Rio, which we went out there one day, and that was <laughs> that is a good story. So we got out to Pinar del Rio, it's like two hours from Havana, and we took a donkey cart to a fucking farm in the middle of nowhere. We go back, uh, probably five six acre farm we walk back through this horse field walking over shit and everything and then there's a uh i'll show you all these pictures of this too it's fascinating and uh there's a forest and as soon as you walk through the forest now it's a casino in the middle of a forest so i guess all this shit's illegal there's cock fights chicken fights in the fucking middle of the woods wow which is illegal in cuba so i got cock to do fights are illegal yeah so i got really? to uh you know, experience illegal chicken fights in an illegal country, and so, <laughs> but yeah, we took the uh, the donkey cart out there, and you know, we got stopped by the cops actually. So I'm sitting there like, yeah, this is about to be really bad. <laughs> so <laughs> I never even told my wife that. But uh, so anyway, yeah. So we had Pinar del Rio. That's where Levon's cousin lived. So he actually saved his money, which I mean, I think they get like everybody gets like the same amount, like the doctor and the the chef, or like the Waiter, waiter, whatever. They all, they all get like the same money, right? 
Um, I think it's 30 bucks a month. So he saved all of his money. Their entire home, smaller than this room right here. Uh, four people living in there. Uh, probably, I would say, about the size of these tables combined. Wow. Um, anyway, so his, well, I was trying to get a, his cousin saved his money for like a whole year just so he could come train with the national team. He came out there, um, didn't only had money to get there. So Levon was sharing his meals with him. And um, so now he's only eating two meals a day instead of the three or, wow. or four or, so, or maybe three meals instead of the four, something like that. But yeah, very, very fascinating. Just watching that, you know, you would just forget what we have and how blessed our lives are. And humbling. Humbling, man. I mean, these, and these guys are just savages, man. Uh, um, just hard, hard workers and getting the job done and just getting nothing for it. Um, you know, some of the guys at the top, like Mihan Lopez, he gets uh, some things like, like Fundora, for instance, he got internet access. Like Whoa. that, that was like a, a blessing for him to have internet access because he had done so much for the country in the Olympics. That's crazy. I think he was a bronze medalist, I think. They hooked him up with the internet. He got hooked up with the internet. And I still email him every now and then. Like, he'll send me pictures of his family and stuff. And, wow. And you can, and it said, it's something like, uh, you know, Fundora at cubagovernment.net or something like that. You know what I mean? It's like, a, so he goes through the government. So the government tracks every email coming in and out. So, yeah. Wow. So, so he, he would even tell me, like, before I left, you know, like, like don't email me this or this. Like, right, don't right. talk about this. And, Wow. Yeah, I think it's maybe laxed up a little bit, but I'm not sure. Man. So, yeah, I can tell you a lot of stories about it. It, it was really a, a very eye-opening experience. Like, like I want to take my kids there sometime, like, just to see. Like, look, you want to fucking, what if you grew up here, motherfucker? Yeah, you know? no shit, right? You know, be happy. You know, you yeah. got what you got. And yeah, yeah. I mean, those kids, so one of the pictures I, I could show you would be the, the wrestling room in Pinar del Rio. I think Yo Romero came from there, actually. Um, Mahan came from there, Levon came from there, and their wrestling room is actually probably about as big as this room, and it's a dirt floor with the, the mats are, you know, so if, so if you imagine a, a mat getting uh, dissolved in water and like all the little pieces mm -hmm. just spread out, so they, they sweep up all those pieces, put them in a, uh, it's about as big as this table here, they sweep it all together and stack it up, and that's their mat. So they just practice, you know, basically take down stuff, and that's why they're, so hard to take down. Like they learn from a young age. Like you get taken down, it fucking sucks. Wow. Yeah. I can show you a picture of it. I mean, it's really fascinating. Wow. How long were you over there for? Um, six to eight weeks. I can't remember. Something Whoa, like that's that. a yeah. long time. Yeah, we, we stayed for a long time. And we did basically the whole training camp over there. For which fight? Uh, Jordan Mean. Wow. And that was... Um, so that was when I first started working with that guy. And, and, you know, the first thing he said was like, you need better wrestling. Let's go to Cuba. Holy shit. I said, all right, let's go. Wow. And so I wrestled with those guys every day. Um, my wrestling came up tremendously. Oh, I'd um, imagine. Yeah, I mean, there's no way, sink or swim. Um, and then like I said, I got to work with the boxing team. And the boxing team, I mean, the wrestling is one thing, but uh, I've seen a lot of the junior boxing team guys. I've seen one kid get kicked off the boxing team. Like They take their boxing very, very serious over there, right? That's their national sport. Um, one kid got kicked off the team because he wasn't keeping up. And they were doing – they had to get up at, like, 5 a.m., do, like, an eight-mile run or something, and they put, you know, water bottles like this, and they fill it up with sand, and that's their dumbbells. And the kid didn't have any shoes, but he couldn't keep up, and they were doing hill sprints, and he kept falling behind. They're like, you're off the team. Whoa. So they would do, like, a 5 a.m., and then they go to school, and then they do an afternoon workout, and then they go back to school, and then they do an evening workout. And they live in these dorms, and that's literally all they do. 
that, that's their entire life. Wow. And they want to get out they, you know, or live a better life, you know, they be a champion or die. Holy shit. Yeah. And uh, again, you know, um, I, I was looking at all this or, or, or learning all this through translation. So, uh, you know, I could have some things not uh, exactly right. But, you know, I was I was living there with them for a little while. Have you but, wanted to go to Thailand? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I do, too. Yeah. You know, my thing is, uh, so like when I did that, my kids were very young and it wasn't so bad to leave them with their mom for a little while. Now mm -hmm. I have, uh, you know, now I have three kids, specifically my daughter. It's just hard to leave. Right. And, and uh, to fly to Thailand. Have you never been there? No. No. So yeah, to, to fly there, you know, is expensive and, mm -hmm. um, you know. I, I don't want to leave. I just can't leave my family anymore. But there's places you can go and bring them. Like Phuket's yeah. supposed to be nice, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah. And again, the flights, you know, is what's expensive. Once right. you get there, it's, it's cheap, right? But the flight, I mean, $1,000 per person. You know, I'm looking at $5,000 right, just right. to fly there. Yeah. So, yeah, I want to, but that's my the nice thing about having Doran. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Now, are you living in Colorado still, or are yep. you here? Yeah, so I live in Colorado right now, and then I'm coming back and forth a lot, coming to, to LA. Here. Yeah, doing a lot of work with the Muscle Farm. Because Muscle Farm's opening up their main headquarters now in Burbank. Is that what yep. it's going to be? Yep, so they moved Why'd here. Why did you decide to move here? Um, well, the CEO lives here, for one thing, and I think uh, they're going to attract a lot more athletes here, and I right. think that they're going to be able to do a much bigger thing and and really what they're doing is a restructuring the entire business they're kind of moving away from just simply being uh um you know well they change like from muscle farm to mp for instance so that it's not just for the uh bodybuilder type crowd and the excuse me for the meatheads and the you know and without you know i mean they'll certainly still be catering to the that crowd but uh, now they want to open it up more as a, a lifestyle brand, expand it, and they'll be doing a lot more stuff with a lot more athletes, which I think they'll be able to do out here better than in Denver. But now, as a guy who's trained at sea level and you lived at Denver, mm -hmm. um, what? how much of a benefit is it to be at that 5,500 feet uh, Pros and cons. What's the con? Well, the number one con is that you can't, uh, your max capacity is lower. So you can't work as hard. You can't work as hard. Right. But now, do you, how once you get adapted, though? You know, I've, I've been a little torn with that because I tell you, when I do my max capacity training, um, I don't think I've been able to reach the same levels that I was at sea level. Um, I've heard other people say that they are able to. Um, my PRs, uh, you know, in terms of lifts, uh, have been comparable. Um, but, of course, I was at Westside before, so it's not, right. you know, <laughs> I mean, you're just not – I tell you what, you walk into Westside, like you hit a PR, right. period. Like it, it, you don't, it, it doesn't matter. It's just a, there's an energy in the air. There's an aura. It's an intense place. Yeah, you've been there. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you probably hit a PR, but <laughs> if you worked out, <laughs> um, again, there's, there's pros and cons. I mean, the obvious pro is the red blood cell count, and I think your lung capacity goes up. But, yeah. Um, the idea they say is to sleep at altitude, but to train at exactly. sea level. Exactly, and it's so that you yeah. can. Uh, push your max capacity at sea level and then recover. Yeah, so if like yeah. if you're in California, you would live in Big Bear, but then you would train down in like San Bernardino or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and I I don't know I don't even know California well enough to know that how that works. Well, but. Big Bear is pretty close. You get to oh, Big yeah. Bear in two hours. Yeah, you could drive there. Yeah, right it's now. funny that people out here say that's close. <laughs> like, <laughs> like to me, two hours is a long ass way. <laughs> well, yeah, no, it's close as fuck here. Two hours yeah. to take you that long to get to Irvine in traffic. <laughs> that's what everybody says. If like, I got to work in Irvine, like if I'm doing the improv and it's an eight o'clock show, I leave here at four. 
<laughs> I'm not bullshitting. I leave here at 4 p.m. and I'm stuck in traffic for two and a half fucking hours. No bullshit. So everybody I give here listens to podcasts, huh? Yeah, podcasts, uh, audio books, you know, anything, mm-hmm. anything. Just keep your mind off that fucking those red lights in front of you. <laughs> All right. Break so I'm from Columbus, Ohio. Like you, you yeah. can go around the outer belt in like an hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys have terrible traffic. It's like, oh, I'm stuck in traffic for ten minutes. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. 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 Well. Yeah. I mean, Denver's pretty bad now, actually. All uh, that weed. Yeah, all the weed, man. People just, <laughs> everybody just went there. Yeah. Last time I was there, I was like, what the fuck is going on here with all this traffic? <laughs> it's just weed. Uh, apparently, I, I guess it's actually been growing for years like that anyway. But, the, man, when you go skiing, that's the worst, man. You come back from the ski resort mm-hmm. Sunday, 4 or 5 o'clock, dude. It's like, I, I just did it the other week. And it took me three and a half hours for a, a one and a half hour drive. That's so, crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, Denver's just it's an amazing city because amazing. you're in you're in this cool city that's a real city, a legit city, and then right outside is the fucking Rocky Mountains. It's mm-hmm. right there. Right there. You drive an hour and you're in the Rocky Mountains. Yep. I mean, fucking wilderness, Jack. Elk screaming and bears running around. You're like, <laughs> yeah. Wow. I what s- other city has that? An hour outside the city, you're in the fucking mountains. And it's sunny, too. Yeah. You, you get all four seasons, which I like. And the people are cool yeah. as fuck. Yeah, people are cool, yeah. This is one of the few places yeah. I would live outside of California. Well, you used to live there, right? Yeah, I lived in Boulder. Yeah. I'm not sure I would go Boulder, but well, I was in the mountains yeah. above Boulder. Oh, okay, yeah, I was like three thousand feet above Boulder. I was uh, eighty-five hundred feet. It was nice. pretty interesting. Nice. Do you feel a difference? Yeah, man. Going yeah. up the stairs, you get tired. <laughs> it's crazy. It's I mean, so but thin. did you adapt to it and felt no, a difference? No, I was from, only from there that? for three months. My wife got oh, really? pregnant. Yeah, my wife got pregnant, uh, and uh, it's rough up there for women if they uh, haven't adapted. It's rough in. Denver, but then you go 3,000 feet course, above yeah. Denver, it's real rough. Yeah, I go it's up there just, all the time. Yeah, yeah if, if you're a woman and you get pregnant up there, it's like having the flu. Mm. It's real bad. And they have a really high instance of low birth weight and premature birth. I did not know that. Yeah, that Denver does as well. Denver has one of the highest rates in the country of premature births. I did not know that. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I was up at my friend's house out by Edwards, a little bit past Vail the other day, and like you were talking about the the elk and the bears and stuff. Woo. I mean, at, at nighttime, he said usually you shine a flashlight out and you see the eyes of the mountain lions. Yes, he's got dogs and and stuff, and they're just sitting there waiting. He he's got a fence now, but he's like you just see their eyes. They, there was one a story that I uh, tweeted out today in California where some fucking mountain lion was banging on this screen door or this uh, glass door trying to get at this dog in California. Yeah, they got pictures of this cat. Like, you don't want to mess with those guys. Fuck, man. <laughs> like, yeah, one of them ate my dog. A bear is one thing. Oh, really? Yeah, one of them ate my dog in Gold Hill. This fucking mountain lion, man. Right outside these people's house, trying to get at their little dog. Ugh. Yeah, they took pictures of it. That, and it's killed a bunch of pets in the neighborhood, apparently. They have a real problem with them in California because they don't hunt them. So they're not scared mm. of people at all. And, and that's know, the problem with California, right? They're against everything mm-hmm. that I'm for. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're against Except quite for a few legalizing things. weed. It's ignorance based. They have an idea of what 
a mountain lion is and that these are these majestic creatures and they shouldn't be hunted. And what they would like to do is eliminate all hunting and let nature sort it out on their own. Yeah. But yet they have grocery stores everywhere they, where they have food <laughs> that's murdered animals that are factory farmed. It's the stupidest fucking shit ever. You're not going to turn the whole state into vegetarians. So this mm -hmm. idea that you're not you're going to eliminate hunting is so fucking stupid. It's like you would rather people... They, they're trying to do that, trying to eliminate hunting? or The people yeah. that are the most radical wildlife activists would like to eventually eliminate hunting and have all these animals sorted out with themselves in a mm -hmm. natural way. But they're never going to eliminate people eating meat. 97% of the people in this country eat meat. So that's a real number. Yeah. So this idea that you're going to somehow or another change those 97% based on the desires of the 3%, which fluctuate back and forth, by the way. Mm -hmm. The 3%, there's a lot of those 3% that fall off, and they eventually, for health reasons, go back to eating meat yeah. again or eating some animal products. These fish, huh? Animals are fucking awesome. I love the fact they're real. I love that they're out there. But if you think that it's okay to have tons of mountain lions, I have a buddy who works at Tahone Ranch. They got a um, trail camera over there over a pond. They got photos of 16 different mountain lions visiting this pond. Yeah. What? <laughs> Fuck, man. That's intense. And yeah. this, this is all because in the 1990s they outlawed hunting of them. Mm. It doesn't make – they didn't do it for any rational I mean, reason. It's a mountain lion is an apex predator, right? It's an apex predator and that you can eat them and they're delicious. They taste oh, like really? pork. Yeah. Yeah, my friend Steve shot one recently. He said it was one of the most delicious meals he's ever had in his life. I'll have to try it. Yeah, they have delicious fat that you, you cook them and really? you cook it just like pork. I never would have thought that. I never would have thought they're in the cat family, right? Yeah, it's weird eating a yeah. cat. Yeah. But apparently they're delicious. Probably have before. Yeah. Well, yeah. unknowingly. But it's just to control the population to keep them from. Yeah. It's a good luck finding a deer in California. There's so you few You ever feel deer like, like when you walk into the grocery store and you see the meat aisle, like you just see animals sitting there? You know what I mean? Because you see, I mean, the meat aisle is gigantic, as big as this wall. Yeah. And like when I see it, I just see a bunch of animals. I'm yeah. Like, My man, like none of these were treated right raised right killed right and now they're packaged like there's some glorious amazing food well it's just soup it's too sanitized and sterilized yeah. it's weird and especially as someone who's killed animals and quartered them up in the mm -hmm. field and carried them away and cut them up and put them and wrapped them and vacuum sealed them and put them in my freezer and then thawed them out and ate them like I've been there through the whole process so I look at the whole thing totally different now when I yeah. go to the butcher section it's just I did that when I was like 10 years old so. <laughs> yeah so you've been doing it forever yeah well i haven't hunted since i was like a teenager but but you have and you know it so yeah i just think i mean we used to raise chickens and like my dad would be like go kill a chicken for dinner like that was like my job sometimes so yeah same thing you know especially when you know like you raise the animal too right like you become kind of you know have some compassion for it yeah yeah you, know, you realize the chickens in particular uh i mean it, way more so with cattle and pigs like you realize pigs are very smart you know they're they're intelligent and and like a dog yeah yeah i mean i feel like uh i i know that technically they're that smart right but uh there's something different about dogs right like, yeah <laughs> yeah for whatever reason yeah there's something different about it. maybe for just us. maybe just my bias from what i've been taught from from uh society or whatever yeah but, culturally right yeah yeah we have but, animals that we like better yeah yeah, yeah. certainly yeah and, i mean i felt terrible like killing some of the pigs yeah i'd you imagine know? yeah and then you eat them and, and you know personally i mean i always thought the grocery store sausage and bacon tasted way better <laughs> but <laughs> but i was like man that was sort of my excuse i was like man it doesn't taste good i'm not sure if i want to eat it but in my head 
I'm thinking, like, man, I really feel bad for this guy. I don't want to eat him. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, I know what you mean, man. It's We have a weird disconnect with food in this country in particular, and especially in this day and age. Mm -hmm. When you have a, a majority of the people eating meat and the majority of people never seen an animal die and then get chopped up and turned into meat and then eat it, it's uh, there's always going to be this weird disconnect. And that's How do what you, you change that, though? <sighs> Boy, I don't know. I don't know if you can. I just think it's one of the weird... It's... It's, the, the, I don't think, I think this society is an amazing thing. What we've, what we've accomplished where you don't have to ever worry about food. You can just go down the store, right down the street here, and get a steak and cook it and instantaneously. You don't have to kill it. You don't have mm -hmm. to dress it. You don't have to, all these steps have been avoided. You just give them a piece of paper. That piece of paper gets you a steak. It's just, it's amazing. You know, you could yeah. go to a, store down the corner over here and you can get gasoline some motherfucker had to go to the middle east pull oil out of the ground refine it put it in tanker trucks drive it across the country pump it into a hole in the ground you swipe a swipe a piece of plastic through this reader the, the it, you punch in your area code or your zip code whatever the fuck it is what is it your zip code right zip code you, yeah. you put the <laughs> nozzle in your tank you fill your tank up with gas this fucking car that's designed by engineers in a way you would never be able to figure out on your own and you get to turn the key and drive this thing around there's so many steps that have been taken to make our lives way mm -hmm. more convenient you don't even have to do all that anymore you you have this thing in your hand you just push a button and some, some dude dude's gonna up. show up at your fucking door <laughs> with food yeah. or some <laughs> dude with a car and drives you anywhere you want to go yeah drive yeah. you where you go right? yeah, yeah it's yeah. he shows in, he shows up with the animal that's been you know, slaughtered and, and cooked and cooked and yeah. sterilized. And you ain't got to worry about if it's healthy or not. No. Like when I was in Cuba, they had, like I said, the red meat is, you know, I don't know if it's illegal or, or just very hard to come by or, or whatever. But so we went to this sort of black market stand and man, I got a picture of it. I mean, it's a table bigger than this table of just red meat sitting out there's flies on it. And wow. but people are just like, dude, yes, I want some, wow. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's all the different cuts and everything. Not yeah, you know, cut up just terribly. Right, right. Wow. Yeah, we're lucky as shit, man. And this is the easiest time ever to be alive. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, at least in America. Yeah, at I least mean, in America. Yeah, maybe not yeah. in some places. No, I think that's why it's good to visit other places, man. Just to just to get a look around and see what it's like. You that's know? that's one of my the reasons I want to go to Thailand. Like I want to go there and train, but only so much. I mean, there's. Like, I think that so much of the, the Thai uh, uh, skill training is already in America that it's not going to, you might get some details or whatever over there, but they're, they're also so traditional and so far behind us in terms of, uh, you know, at least in strength and conditioning and, mm -hmm. and proper ways of training and things like that. Right. That I, I don't know how beneficial that is, but I want to go over there and see how they live. I mean, they eat spiders and, you know, these insects and, and most people are ultra poor over there and, you know, but... You know they're all they're really Buddhist, right? And they, mm -hmm. I guess they kind of, um, you know, they drop their kids off at the freaking Thai camp and just leave. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, it's very strange to us. Yeah, yeah, so I find it fascinating. Yeah, I do too. I, I find it incredibly fascinating. You know, I talked to John Wayne Park quite a bit about his experiences over there. Mm -hmm. He went over there when he was real young and lived over there and lived in Thai camps, lived like a Thai. Mm -hmm. Incredible stories, you know. Mm. So it's it's just a very unique culture. It just it, it helps you appreciate where you live and puts things into mm -hmm. perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there in uh, what's that Japan? You've been there, I'm sure. 
right? Yeah, I've been to Japan. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinated the shit out of me too. People it's like being in a foreign land that's <laughs> also like on another planet. People uh, standing in line at the subway to yeah. get on the subway train. <laughs> yeah. No, I was there for we did like a military tour, and I was I think uh, Todd Duffy was there, and uh, was it CB Dalloway maybe? But yeah. You could see Todd from, you know, from, right. uh, over top of the crowd from like a mile right. away. Right, yeah. It's, it's, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's interesting um, how polite they are over there. So polite, yeah. Yeah, it's like there's so yeah. much order and discipline. It's, it's just completely fascinating. Yeah, I remember him on the subway train. They're standing in line. Yeah. I, I just wanted to walk to the front of the line. <laughs> Fuck you guys. <laughs> you probably could have done it. They probably wouldn't have even said anything. Well, then we did another one in Iraq. Uh, or Middle East, I Iraq was one of the places, or did we? I can't remember, but the Middle East. And man, those people will—they will shove you right out of the way, mm -hmm. right? Like you know, you you funneling in through the airport or something. Right. And they're the rudest people ever when it comes to you know standing in line. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I, I mean, it, you know, you say something to them, oh, I don't speak English or whatever. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't speak your language either. So I guess we're fucked. How many different countries have you fought in? Um, only, uh, only two. Yeah. I fought in the UK. Is it a big transition going over there? Like the, the weight cuts got to be harder and the yeah. finding the right food. When I fought over there, um, yeah, the weight cut wasn't that bad. No. Uh, you, you said finding the right a, food was terrible. You said you've been on a ketogenic diet. We were talking before mm -hmm. the podcast for the last, what, three years? About three years. Yeah. yeah. It was after I fought uh, Johnny Hendricks actually. And I suffered a concussion, and that was what originally got me on to the idea of doing a ketogenic diet. And then I fought uh, Robbie Lawler next. And why did the concussion get you on the idea of having? A well, ketogenic it's, it's diet? good for TBI and mm -hmm. concussion. I mean, they—that's they, the uh, theory, at least. I don't think they have a lot of proof. I, they, they, I know they had, they've done some research on mice, but not necessarily on humans. But they. Uh, and they how believe did you feel when you changed your diet? Um, in what sense? Like initially, was there a struggle? Oh yeah, the first couple of weeks is terrible. That keto flu thing. Yeah, yeah. I had it really bad, uh, but I didn't do it after the Hendrix fight. But I started reading about it then. And then when I fought Lawler, I missed weight. Um, I think it was like half a pound or something. That was the only time I've ever missed weight in my life. I did everything exactly like I had done a hundred times before. Me and uh, my coach Tom Barry uh, at Westside Barbell, we we had everything planned out. We had a notebook of you know this is what we eat this day, this day, this day. And this day, this moment, and everything's playing out. We did everything exactly the same. Um, ended up, you know, still missing weight, and um, I, that was when I realized my metabolism had changed. So I started looking more and more into different uh, types of diets. So I've always been my own guinea pig. That's sort of a blessing and a curse for my. Um, well, that's why you know I want to be a coach because I've. Uh, I think I'll make it 10 times better coach than I was a fighter because I've experimented on myself. I've, that's why I have all these books and everything. And the problem with that, right, is that, you know, you get a bad info too, or you misinterpret, misunderstand it. And maybe it's for regular people and I'm a high level athlete, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, um, I, I used it, uh, for one, for the concussion and two, to, uh, sort of a metabolic shift into, uh, more fats. And uh, I haven't missed weight since. So, did you feel any benefit of switching to a ketogenic diet in terms of performance? Um, you know, I actually felt a lack of benefit. Actually, so some of the max capacity lowered immediately. Some of my PRs went down 
um, over time. Did they time, come back up? Yeah, they came back up. Yeah. So, so how long? When did they go down? Like how? How long? Uh, right after, away. Right like away. within. Yeah, within the first week or two. I mean, right. they, they're it completely takes shot. A few months to really truly adapt. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then, and what I've done now over time is I've adapted the diet to, um, you know, a, a lot of I do a lot of different things now. So I'm not as ketogenic as I once was, where it was all keto, keto, keto. Now I don't even pay attention to my ketones. Well, I take that ketone ester like we took earlier. Mm-hmm. I take that a lot, which I fucking love. You probably feel it right now. Yeah. I, like, shit's amazing. It tastes uh, like sucking on Godzilla's dick. <laughs> it does. It's like, Worse. Yeah, maybe. It's like, whoa. Yeah, it's terrible. Whoa. Terrible. But I use that, and then I use the... Uh, you know, regular uh, keto salt supplements. Mm-hmm. Um, but that one, you know, for performance actually brings my performance up higher than, uh, than I would usually go. Do you take that ketone ester before you train? Yeah. How, so, how long before you train? So I take it with some glucose, uh, usually about 20 minutes before I train. And you and use those glucose packets? Yeah. Who yeah. makes those packets? Uh, just whatever at the grocery store, power mm-hmm. bar or whatever, right. you know, it doesn't matter. Um, just it's, it's just a matter of sugar. Yeah. You just had to make sure you have some sugar because of the hypoglycemic effects. It'll drop your blood sugar because really bad. Because it's so potent. It's very, very potent. Like our ketones are probably in the three. Like I actually have my blood meter, maybe we'll check, but um, I'm probably in the three to five millimole range right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I, I do that. and then But now I've adjusted it where I'm not as concerned with staying in ketosis because the main concern with that is I want to get the benefits for the brain and, um, you know, the TBI and things like that. Um, now it's, uh, I'm, when I get closer to a fight, it's more about performance, right? So I'll add in some, I, I use like a UCAN starch. Um, I use um, uh, like sweet potatoes, you know, certain mm-hmm. starches that don't really affect your ketone levels uh, right. quite as much. Um, so that can bring my performance up uh, a lot better. Well, I think there's a real issue with high level athletes with the amount of work output that you put in that you probably need more carbohydrates than the regular person that's on a ketogenic diet. I've been, I've been, uh, Again, I'm my own guinea pig, right? And I mm-hmm. experiment with that. And I've been, man, I've been kind of torn with that, right? So one of the things that that, that uh, are, are a lot of people kind of promulgate is that our sport is very anaerobic, and it's really not. It's a lot more aerobic, and your aerobic capacity will go up on keto. Your aerobic, uh, your my ability to recover specifically um, without even with no carbs, my my blood glucose could be in seventies and eighties, and um, not have carbs for weeks at a time, and my ability to recover goes up tremendously. Mm. Uh, like we were talking about tendonitis, my tendonitis goes away. Uh, my injuries, my joints just feel better. I, I feel better all the way around. My brain feels better, and uh, um, a lot of things like that. But the uh, the but when you do need to kick in that max capacity anaerobic part of things, that's where you know things uh, suffer a little bit. Suffer, yeah, and, and that's where you have to add in the carbs and. And but again, you know the the amount of training that I do. I mean, I can add in a lot of carbs, and I can still get away with it, and stay. Right. And I can even stay in ketosis if if I want to. But I think a lot of people make the mistake that I made originally. Again, as my own guinea pig, and and I really focused on the blood ketone levels rather than the performance. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be able to perform with high ketogenic levels, or you know, high ketone levels, um, and in my blood. And it's not really necessary, right? Like it should be solely performance based, right, right, you right. know. But yeah. it did it did help me cut weight, though. I thought it was also. fascinating what Ben Greenfeld was saying. We were talking about it before the podcast about how he would carb up and then take ketone supplements, so he had the benefit mm. of 
having a lot of carbohydrates in his system, but also having a lot of ketones in his system. Mm -hmm. And he said he felt like a fucking animal. Yeah, and that's you know, pretty similar to probably how we feel right now. I and mean, that's totally legal. Yeah. That's, totally, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's not... And I tell you, like, when I take it, uh, it, it does amazing things for me. Um, man, I, I've... So I've heard stories of people when they take this ester that they'll pull out moves like they haven't done in 10 years. Like they recalls these moves. And, um, I've done things where uh, when I do it, I feel like I'm five, six years younger. I mean, it's done some fascinating things Just for taking me. that drink Just that taking drink. the ester with some... Uh, um, so <laughs> get digging out of the trash. Pulling it out here. Yeah, ketone aid. Yeah, ketone aid, ketone ester. Yeah, and looks like you're a scientist like this. <laughs> breaking Bad type shit. Ke. The thing with it, it's extremely expensive, and they're working on getting the. Uh, it's it's like burnt rubber. Yeah, it's they're working on getting the um, uh, the cost down. I think it's thing. And, How much are these things? Uh, I'm not sure, but I think it's like thirty dollars a gram. And that's oh, like 40 grams, I think. There. That's incredible. I, I could be off on that. I'm not sure. but the, That's quite pricey. I, I heard that the uh, UK cycling team used it. They paid like $6,000 for, you know, however much, just a, a small amount. And they used it for the when they won the Tour de France, actually. Wow. Yeah, that's what no I heard. Shit. I don't know how true it is, but I believe it. I mean, this shit does amazing things for you. But, yeah. So the keto, I mean, again, it can be used, if used properly, I think it can do a lot of benefits. I would recommend to all um, ath uh, combat athletes, NFL players over, you know, that have, that have taken concussions, taken hits to the brain, or, or that are over a certain age where your metabolism changes. I mean, that's where my biggest benefit was. And even uh, TJ was talking about TJ Dillish, I was talking with him about it. His coach had him switch over because he was burning primarily carbohydrates. Especially now, TJ's going to try to make 125. Yeah, and, and I don't know if uh, – um, he was talking to me about it long before that was ever talked about. So, mm -hmm. But, he, you know, he did some uh, tests on him and found that he's burning all carbohydrate all the time, which can be an issue in, yeah. in long training sessions specifically. So he switched it up a bit. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think he's going full keto, but I think he's doing something similar to, like, what I'm doing where the – He's doing keto with, uh, you know, some carbohydrates still, and he's using the – so basically, like, the only carbohydrates that we need as an athlete is for the workout, right? We don't right. need them after that, um, you know, maybe for recovery, um, which is, again, I think it's debatable, but, um, you know, carbohydrate is not a necessary substance to even live. You know, you could live your entire life without eating a carbohydrate and – be perfectly fine. So. Yeah, there's a lot of guys that are doing this carnivore diet now. I've heard of this. Yeah, yeah. Mark yeah, yeah. Bell told me he's never felt better. He's really? he's doing that shit now. Yeah, yeah, he's he's eating nothing so but steak. Just really? eats steak all day. No Just, sausage or bacon. <laughs> well, he eats bacon too, but it's mostly meat. Hmm. He's eating mostly meat. Mostly meat, so what, yeah. no vegetables. A little bit every now and then, but most of what he's eating is just meat. See, I I, I feel completely different when I load up my vegetables. Even even a day or two, I, I mean, I don't know. Do you feel this? I, I mean, feel better. Yeah, it just, I I, I'm a big fan. Everything. of Everything. I just I love uh, drinking it too. You know, I love getting like real rich green leafy vegetable juice, mm -hmm. and uh, I drink a lot of kale shakes. Where I'll take a goddamn bushel of kale that you're never gonna sit down and eat. You're never mm -hmm. gonna eat that much kale. I'll blend that motherfucker up with a giant chunk of ginger and garlic. I'll throw an apple in there and a bunch of coconut oil. And I'll fucking <laughs> throw some celery in there, and I'll drink it, and it's 
Woo. I think I've seen that on YouTube. You put like a pear yeah. in there too, right? Yeah, or maybe a pear, maybe an apple. apple okay, I'll mix okay. it up. Sometimes I put peaches or pineapple in there too. You put the whole thing in with the seeds and everything? or Yeah, cut it up? fucking throw that bitch in nice, there and you don't grind care. it up. and just nice. It's all performance. It doesn't taste good. Right, right. It tastes like shit. <laughs> you know, it's like I've had people try to drink it and they're like, oh, I can't. Dude, I got to try this. But yeah. dude, I drink it and I feel like a fucking gorilla. How much garlic you put in A there? lot. Like four or five cloves. That's... It's rough. I just eat cloves now. Yeah, I do that too. Yeah. I eat a lot of cloves. Yeah, yeah. where it burns when it's going down. Like, yeah, yikes! You, but you can feel it right like within mm -hmm. like an hour or two. You're like, damn, there's something in there, man. Especially if I'm feeling anything, like I'm feeling a little sick, mm. I'm feeling a little funky, like I'm kind of feeling a little worn down. Maybe it's going around. I'll just chomp on some garlic. You ever tried chaga root? No. I do this. I did it. Well, I've only actually only done it one time when I was sick. My whole family got sick. Kids, you you've been there, right? Yeah. Kids are miserable all of us are laying down like we're uh, laying around like we're in the hospital you know every couple seconds you hear a cough and we're just laying there miserable and i was the only one that did the chaga root i put it in a crock pot put uh, you know like 10 little chunks in there and i was the only one that didn't get sick or didn't stay sick very long i stayed sick for like a day huh. or two maybe. chaga root yeah and what's supposed to be the benefit of this stuff ah man i don't want to butcher this Google it. <laughs> Google it. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. I, I mean, it's an immune system enhancer. It's like a. It, I heard it from my friend who's a survivalist specialist expert. Huh. And he, like he teaches the these classes, you know, where you go out and live off the of land and things oh. like that, right? And um, you know, he gets it from like Maine or Canada, and it's like this fungus that grows on trees, and it's really really hard, and they they chop it off, and then you can you grind it up, put it in a tea or something, and. Huh supposedly you know it's really good for your immune system well, how does it make you feel i don't feel anything i didn't feel any difference at all i mean i'm sitting there drinking it like it's some bullshit but i'm drinking <laughs> it anyway you know i'll try it you know my my guy told me so um you know and that's obviously that's very anecdotal and it was like right but one instance and i just i just got sick a couple uh weeks ago and i completely forgot about it and i was sick for like two weeks but you anyway. had a you had a pretty significant back injury at one point. Right? I herniated disc. Yeah. Yeah. How yep. did you fix that? Um, I guess it's never really fixed. Fixed, right? Um, I got a epidural steroid injection first because I wanted to make the fight. It's when I was supposed to fight Conor the first time. It's like two weeks out of the fight. And does it? What is the epidural steroid? Does it relax the area and loosen the inflammation? It's a, a, a corticosteroid. Right. Yeah. So it, it gets rid of the inflammation. It took mine. Um, we did it on a Friday. This was like two weeks out of the fight. Um, so what had happened is about four weeks out of the fight is when I originally heard it. And, you know, I'm like, I'm going to fucking suck it up and do it. I think you said you heard any of this, so you know what it yeah. feels like, right? And I, yeah. I'm going to suck this shit up, and I'm going to get through it. And, you know, I couldn't do anything. <laughs> I could barely even hit pads, right? Um, well, I eventually ended up, you know, going to a, a – well, actually, so this is part of my problem with chiropractors, right? So I went to a chiropractor first, and he's like, oh, yeah, you know – crack it and it's all good you know and all this kind of uh garbage anyway i ended up seeing a pain specialist and he f knew what it was within 30 seconds yeah anyway so i got the epidural steroid and it didn't work right away so i had to get a second one later so it, yeah the second time masks though, the issue right does it mask the issue? Or yeah, is it I, th I think it reduces some of the inflammation, so some yeah. of the problems of it. Yeah, so that's it. I mean, he, he told me that. He said, you know, look, we're, we're going to get you to the fight. This is uh, the best way to get you to the fight. Right. And, but it didn't work well enough the first time, so I ended up getting a second one, and it worked very well the second time. But then, of course, as you know, 
having a herniated disc, uh, it, it just took years to uh, correct it, you know. And I mean, I work on it all the time now. If I if I don't keep on it, then I will uh, feel the the effect. I'll feel the issues. Right. Yeah, especially in jujitsu. Right. That's the worst. I mean, is it your lower back? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, L five, I think. Did you use Louis Simmons uh, reverse hyper? Mm -hmm. Did you use that machine? Did that? Of help? course, yeah, yeah. Of course, I I do tons of the reverse hyper all mm -hmm. the time. Um, I mean, I have a whole routine that I do pretty much after pretty much every workout, just to strengthen your back. Yep, yep. For uh, back and hips, uh, a lot of my personal uh, problem was my hip mobility, mm -hmm. and uh, so I do the hips, uh, uh, abs, obliques. Uh, my psoas gets real tight, so I have to lay on a fucking kettlebell you, right, and right, do right. that thing and yeah. uh, my hip flexors. Um, but, um, you know, I, I start working with this uh, strength and conditioning coach uh, now that, man, you know, he does, he works wonders for me. Now and, you have your own line of shit and you sent us a bunch of stuff. Oh, yeah, you, yeah. you sent us some fucking cool hammers and, and uh, you got mm -hmm. wheelbarrows and a bunch of different things. Mm -hmm. What was your thought process behind? What was the name of the company? Uh, Immortal Combat Equipment Ice. And there's it on uh, online immortalcombatequipment.com. Yeah, so well, I have my website immortalcombatequipment.co. Co. And then uh, it's on Westside Barbell. We sell on there. Distribute through them and EliteFTS.com. And um, basically, the way that whole started was. There we go. Oh, there we go. Nice. Yeah, the way that whole started, whole thing started was with the. The wheelbarrows, uh, Louie had a, a wheelbarrow that we was using all the time that he's used for probably 20 years. And um, we, I was like, man, I, you know, I could build. That thing's a piece of junk. It's been around here like 20 years. It's falling apart. And right. I said, you know, let me, let me build one. And uh, we built one. One person asked me to build one for him. I said, okay, cool. And then uh, another person asked me to build one for him. And then I said, man, I, mean, I should just start making these. And I'd had the ideas for the uh, – um, so I talked to an engineer, and uh, we just started manufacturing them. And, uh, you know, just it's sort of like a side project thing for me, so, uh, something I want to get into uh, post-fight uh, career. You know, right. like I said, so there's a few things I want to do, you know, for one, strength and conditioning uh, coaching, martial arts coaching, uh, you know, do some stuff with Muscle Farm and – you know, I want to, uh, you know, be able to sell my equipment, right? Um, the hammers I thought of for a long time. Um, I know, like you guys do the maces. You know, these are mm -hmm. different than the maces. They're they're actually a sledgehammer. Right. I'm sure if if you swing a sledgehammer, it, it just doesn't make sense that you go to Home Depot and you buy a shit ass 16 pound, 20 pound sledgehammer. Or start at 15 pounds. I'll probably make a 10 pound at some point, maybe an eight or a seven or something. And um, you know, they're usually they're square. They're um, you know, it doesn't make any sense, right? So we just made it specifically for swinging. For training. For yeah. training. And, a good and, fat and then, handle. Yeah, a good fat handle. And, and you see also uh, it has a ball in the end in case it slips out, so mm -hmm. it keeps it in your hand. And it never made sense to me that I would see a 200-pound man and a 125-pound woman both swinging the sl same sledgehammer, right. especially these 200-pound men that – you know, like me, like I, I swing the 30, 35 pound sledgehammer, which you got to try is just insanely hard, but you have to have the right technique and everything. Um, but, you know, I swing that for my workout and uh, for different, I mean, there's different things depending on. Are you going to expand you know, your line? Because yeah, you, you got absolutely yeah. just the right now you got the sledgehammers and the wheelbarrow. So and, what else? and the grip balls. Now the grip balls, do they? Would you put them on like a carabiner or something like yep. that, and do chin-ups with it? Yeah, connect it to anything. Actually, uh -huh. uh, if you see on that uh, video, we connect them to the wheelbarrow and carry the wheelbarrow uh, with them. Okay. I, I love doing that. Tons of things. I mean, there's just a, a tons of options. Uh, that's, that's that one. My kids thought know, they were little fun. baby kettlebells. They were doing kettlebell <laughs> swings and shit.
Yeah, it's pretty funny. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah. Um, I have some badass ideas, man. We're going to build some really, really cool stuff. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I guess I could just say it. I don't, I don't really care. I mean, you know, like one of the, you used a belt squat before, right? Mm-hmm. We're gonna, yeah. uh, I'm working on prototyping one right now. I have actually about 10 prototypes. I just haven't had the time, energy to focus. I, I kind of like almost don't want it to grow too fast because like I'm still fighting. Mm-hmm. It's something I want to work on after fighting. And uh, but basically, we're doing a belt squat that you can walk with. So it's just going to have wheels and you just walk around anywhere oh. with it. And you could sort of... Um, you know, even like, you know, clinch with someone or whatever, which I mean, you can do tons of things like that with the West side uh, belt squat they already have. And there is other belt squats that can do similar things. But yeah, the West side one, they were telling me you could hit pads with it for you sure. Could have somebody on the platform, which I do. And you yeah. do that? Yeah. yeah, which I do. Yeah. I love yeah. that thing. Just yeah. the way it loads up your hips like yeah. that. And just, it seems and one, one of the things that I think you'd, you'd probably really like, um, we're going to build. Um, and they have one at Westside. You may have seen it when you went there, the Force Treadmill. Yes. That's just – the one at Westside, I mean, it's just a, a basic treadmill. Like a, if you buy one off like Woodway or whatever, they're like 3000 4000 I think even like five or $6,000. I'm going to build one you can sell for like five, 600 bucks. Mm. You know, like you just put it in your garage, whatever. It, like you don't need to buy a $5,000 Woodway treadmill. Right. Why did you decide to start out with hammers and wheelbarrows? Well, the hammers I wanted for myself – um, is that something you use all the time? Absolutely. It's my, probably my favorite exercise. I mean, of course, there, every exercise is a tool, right? And, right. you know, you don't use a, a socket wrench on a screw, right? So, you know, we have a – there's a, a million different exercises that we do for MMA. Everybody asks me, what do you do? Like, you name it, I'll probably do it, right? Uh, my favorite – hammers are probably my favorite thing, though. Um, if, there's, if I just had to pick one thing and say, this is what you need to do um, – I mean, the dynamic strength it builds is is insane. The explosiveness, the core strength, the shoulder strength, the grip strength. When did you start doing this? Um, four or five years ago. Because I remember, yeah. you know, back in the day, George Foreman used to chop wood. Yeah. I remember thinking, yeah. like, why Marciano? are they chopping? Yeah, I was like, why are they chopping wood? Mm-hmm. Like, why? Marciano was legendary for doing it. Yeah. Or not legendary. I mean, he's legendary for other things. Right. Thanks he did a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, we actually built a 45 and a 50 pound hammer too which uh, became a really good door stopper <laughs> too <laughs> but, heavy yeah uh, so we maxed out it we stopped at 35 but if anybody ever would want one we can still get one of those in francis i know right i'd like to see him do it yeah yeah i mean if you just think about the way it you know the the, the hammer swings and everything i mean there's a lot of different ways you can do it there's a lot of different exercises you can do with them i mean they're just I think the most amazing tool there is for uh, for MMA. I've never used person. one. Really? Yeah. Even like you... a Home Depot sledgehammer or nothing? Nope. No never shit. swung them. No. Dude, so it, I mean, it'll build your endurance up right away. Um, but one thing that I love about the endurance part of it is you'll sit there and swing it, and like your body's going to, like when your body gets so tired, as long as you have decent techniques, your body will get so tired, you can still keep going though. Like, because it's a lot of momentum. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But you can keep going with the momentum. Right. Yeah. So no matter how tired you are. Now, you sent me some, so I'll yeah. start doing it here. What size tire should I get? Uh, a tractor tire? Yeah. What fucking, do you get? Yeah, just tractor tire. Yeah. Where do you get one of those? Um, I know. I just go to the uh, – you could use a regular tire, whatever. Like, I go to, the, like, the uh, – you can get them for free. Usually, they'll give them to you because they just burn them. Oh, okay. You know, so they, like, have, to, or they have to, like, dispose of them. Like a like tire a shop. Ju- tire yeah. shop? Yeah, junk tire shop, yeah. I'll go to a tire shop. Yeah. Give me a big-ass tire, bitch. Yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> I mean, sometimes, like, they, they might give you, like, a regular um, 
uh, tire also, mm -hmm. you know, and you just like bolt it together, you know, drill a hole and bolt two of them together and you got it. Right. You can do that way too. But the, is that what you do? You put stack them? I, that's what, um, if it, I've had to do that before where the tire shop wouldn't, didn't have a big tractor tire and, and I just get sick of looking for one. Sometimes right. they're hard to find. Like farmers will have them. I don't know about California. They could be completely different out here. So, you know, I mean, you can buy like off rogue or whatever. They have things that you hit with the hammers, you know. Oh, but, really? Rogue has so things like, other than a tire? Yeah, they have an actual. So, like, they, if you ever seen the CrossFit Games, like they do the the game, uh, I don't know, game, whatever it is, CrossFit competition thing. The, it's like a big piece of rubber, and then and they have to move it from like one side to the other, like okay. ten yards or something. Right. They have to hit it with the hammer. Oh, yeah. Oh, and so, okay. but their hammer, so it's like Rogue makes a, a hammer. Is. Oh, there it is. So it's like a big hunk of rubber. Yeah, yeah. Those are great. And oh, okay. So like Rogue makes a hammer, right? That's adjustable weight too. Mm -hmm. But there's you unbolt it and pour BBs into it. Oh, my! Like, this is ridiculous, right? <laughs> <laughs> like who's who's actually going to uh. do that? And they have fucking BBs everywhere, all this kind of shit. Right. So that's why you know I was like. Uh, you know, I go to Westside. I have a fucking Dave Hoff is there, three hundred. Uh, uh, you know, the strongest man in history. I'm like, if he's going to swing a hammer, it's not going to be a fucking sixteen pound hammer. He'll do that with his, you know, one handed. Right. So you know, so I wanted to build something that anybody could use. And then the wheelbarrow. You know, we had to put where it can hold. I, I've had over a thousand pounds on it at Westside. Jesus. You know, I can't lift a thousand pounds on it, but. Um, we put over a thousand pounds on there. We have different handles. So that's what I changed. So Louis was just one handle, right? So we have D handles, right? So you can grip it like this, do like a clean press, things mm -hmm. like that. Um, we have um, like a turn into like a prowler, you know, so it's got handles coming up, things like that. And you just do laps with it. You just uh, you do laps. I mean, like I say, you use like a prowler. You can do uh, mm -hmm. cleans, uh, overhead presses. I mean, there's a million different things you can do with it. So when you're slamming when you're doing a hammer workout and you're slamming a tire, mm -hmm. like where are you feeling it most? Your back, your legs, you know, uh, everywhere. Yeah, the, uh, usually not the legs so much. Um, you know, the, that's more just you just kind of stabilizing with your legs. But a lot of times, uh, it depends on your weakness too, right? Some mm -hmm. people feel it more in their shoulders. Um, I usually feel it more in my grip. Mm. You know, because but there's a few different ways you can do it too. So like, if I want to feel it more in my grip, I'll do a slam where I try to stop it. Oh, okay. Right? So, you at know, at the very end. At the very end, as soon as it hits, because the tire's going to bounce it back, right. and I'll try to stop it. Um, but a lot of times I feel it more in the core, right? Um, and sometimes I do like, you know, over the head like this, boom, you know, right. and bring it down that way and feel it way more in the core. Do you ever try to swing it sideways? Yeah, I'm, I'm not a, uh, quite as fond on that. I, I just, uh, it gets a little dangerous. And right. I think you kind of, which I, I personally, I would do it. Like, I wouldn't recommend other people do it unless they've been swinging hammers for a while. Right. I right. remember, um, um, I've just seen people uh, do stupid things. Now, what other kind of shit do you do for strength and conditioning? You name it. That's, that's what I was going to say. You know, I mean, we follow the West Side Conjugate System, so it's really, you know, things change all the time. Um, I mean, you know, it depends on if it's general, specific. So I, I always add in a third one. There's, you know, there's GPP, general physical preparation. There's SPP, which is specific physical preparation. And then I add in personally my own, which is a RSPP, which is what I call like the hammers. Like the wheelbarrow would be more, the war, I would call it the war wagon, is more uh, general, right? So it's just going to build general strength. It's going to bring your endurance up, your max capacity up, things like that. The, uh, you know, getting on the mats and, you know, doing 20 double legs, that's SPP, like very specific, right? Um, the Something like a hammer or maybe a lot of uh, band type stuff, uh, like maybe shooting double legs with a band on or something. I call that RSPP, which is like replicated specific uh, physical preparation. So, 
you know, I, I could break down all three of these and just go on forever. I mean, with when you're in the GPP, you're going to, again, like build up your max capacity. You're going to build up your strength. You want to build up your bone density, your ligament strength, your tendon strength. Um, you have, of course, like any weaknesses, uh, I'm big on the neck, back, and posterior chain, right? The, they say the front's for show, the back's for go. So we're Have really you ever used an iron neck? Oh, yeah. Yep, we use it all the time. Yep. I love that fucking yeah, thing. Yeah, I love that thing. Yeah. Isn't that thing amazing? Yeah, what a yep. genius invention. I know, right? I think it's really uncomfortable, but... Yeah, I got one of those <laughs> so, out of here. Yeah, nice. I love it. Yeah, nice. yeah I, I like it. I don't. I got it, one at home, too. To be honest, yeah. I, I think clinching does more than anything else, man, mm -hmm. for for neck strength. Like, I'm, right. my, my neck just gets more sore doing that than anything else. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so that's... Uh, using... Uh, my, my friends uh, at Westside, they do a lot where they'll put a band on the war wagon and then carry it at the same time. Oh, wow. So it's pulling the neck while you're oh, – and like you have that. to walk. So it's like a very dynamic workout at the same time. So your grip's giving out. Your traps start giving out. What kind of harness are they putting on their head? Just like, a, you know, the leather like neck things? boxer yeah, 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 type yeah. thing. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just with a chain and then uh, wow. a band. And so you're having to hold this while you're walking. It makes it much more Ooh. dynamic. So. Ooh, I like that. They come up with some crazy shit there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's if what you I go to the about. Iron Neck Instagram page, they do a lot of crazy shit with the Iron Neck on. Like a lot of medicine ball shit, a lot of slams while you're, you know, you're pulled back. So you're on nice. full full uh, resistance with the band. You're moving your head and you're rotating, slamming the ball to the nice, right and the left. Nice. Things on those lines. I'll have to check that out. I've never checked out yeah. their Instagram. But I, I try to stay off Instagram personally. But Why do you do that? Man, for one, Instagram to me is the most mindless thing in the world. Right? Just be, looking at pictures, it's just pictures, over and over man. And over I mean, and over and over and over and over and over. Yeah. And over and over. yeah. Yep. And and it, half the time you don't even read the the uh, uh, breakdown, the captions. Yeah. yeah. Um, so to me, it's it's really social media is first off is, is pretty dumbed down. Like read a fucking book, right? And then you, now you have something that's not even. Uh, you know, you're not even writing. Like, it's right. just pictures. Like, you know, like the the, old, the people that are like, oh, does that book have any pictures? Well, I'm not going to read it or something, you know. So to me, and and I also, I, I'm a big believer that the, uh, in, you know, what goes in your brain, in your mind, what you let in it needs to be very controlled. You need to be very specific and, and, and careful about what you let in. Mm. And you never know what you're going to come across on there. So it could be something toxic that uh, could be bad. Right, so, especially if you're reading comments, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it gets yeah. way worse. Yeah. Which, and, you know, I use it. Uh, I mean, I'm on there a lot, but, you know, I use it. Uh, I like to. Um, I remember back in the day when I was uh, coming up and, um, you know, I, it, I would dream of, of talking to a, a UFC fighter, right? So, right, so right. I, I use it to interact with my fans, right? Because I want to give uh, some kids that experience. Right. I think right. it's a very powerful tool for that. Oh yeah, that's yeah. that's a powerful thing for a young guy coming up, you mm. know, to be able to talk to Matt Brown, and you actually respond to him and say good luck. You're like, holy shit. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I probably do it maybe even more than I should. Like, I mean, I, I I answer like complete questions sometimes. You know, like people ask me the the wildest questions. You know, and um, I, I'll I'll give them complete responses. But and I find that ninety percent of the time, they're like, oh cool man, glad you responded. And then they forget about it, most likely, right? Yeah. And then, uh, but, you know, if I can touch just a few people, man, I mean, that's really what the the whole thing's about. Do you have a YouTube channel? No, but I probably will. That's maybe a good move for you because you've got so much information in your head. Like, just talking to you before the podcast, you're rattling off these different training modalities and different mm -hmm. recovery methods and techniques and shit like that. I was yeah. like, 
Matt Brown's got a lot of information in his head. Yeah, I'm not dumb. I might be a savage, but I, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's I funny get, how people think those things are mutually exclusive. Absolutely. You yeah. Know, like if you're if you're a savage, you got to be stupid. Absolutely. And my thing is, my savageness. I approach all things with that savage intent, right? So when I like if I'm into a book, like I'm, I'm reading a, a badass book right now, and what is it? Uh, Anti fragile. What is that? Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the author, but uh, it's on my Kindle. And uh, so, if you think of the, the, there's no term, there's no definition of fragility or anti fragile. Right. So, he came up with this term. He wrote the book, uh, The Black Swan, also. And uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Taleb. Yeah. Oh, I've heard of that guy. He has a very interesting way of writing. And, uh, so I'm, I, he really digs deep into this concept of anti-fragility where um, it's not necessarily robustness or things like it's God, I hate it cause I hate trying to re-explain because I butcher shit. I feel mm -hmm. like I don't give it justice, but um, you know, I'm only like halfway through the book, but like I said, I've really attacked it like with that savage sort of a, a mindset, right? But um, it's a very, very long book. Well, it's basically, you know, like, like our... Um, you know, he makes the case that uh, fragility is, uh, you know, good, right? And it creates anti-fragility. He makes the case that uh, um, anti-fragility is good, right? And not necessarily. Like I said, I feel like I'm just butchering it, man. Just read the book. <laughs> it's a fucking but what, good book. But when he says about when you're saying fragility, do you mean fragility in terms of your mindset, in terms of just in terms? Of, so, so he's an economic guy. Uh huh. Um, so he's really, I think he, I think what he's getting at. Again, I'm only half, like halfway through the book, but I think really what he's getting at is more economic and political, is kind of his uh, long term thing. But he uses a lot of examples, uh, and basically, it, it, uh, from what I've gathered so far, it's basically like how stress induces uh, a stress response which in, right. which induces strength and right. which which is uh, the closest thing i would say is to anti-fragility is strength right? right and how anti-fragility would make the world a better place more or less and so as, as a response to stress like, like training basically. exactly yeah. yeah and i mean he even uses that example you mm -hmm. know how how we tear our muscles down to build them up that's the entire purpose yeah yeah so that's um Again, I'm only halfway through, man. I, I don't want to butcher it, you know. Yeah. No, but I know. I know it's a what fucking saying. great book, but I, like I said, I, I mean, it's a long, long, very long book, and it's sort of uh, um, he kind of digs into all these different subjects on it, even though it's really like he could probably sum it up in about a quarter of the book. But you know, I was just saying, you know, I just attack it like that, man. I just, you know. Um, like for instance, super training. You, you, have, you know this book, right? I've heard of it. I, re I haven't read it though. Uh, well, it, it's the, the most probably the most difficult to read book I've ever read. And I've read it probably four or five times now. What's so difficult about it? Um, it's just ultra, ultra scientific. And it's written by Mel Siff and um, Vergashansky, who is the inventor of plyometrics, or the, the founder mm. of plyometrics in the Russians. And uh, Mel Siff is a biomechanical engineer. And the two of them came together. And, you know, this super training is basically like the Bible of... Um, of strength and conditioning books altogether. Right? It's it's the original strength and conditioning book. Um, I mean, there's also like science and practice of uh, strength training. There's a uh, science of sports training. There's a lot of really good books, but super training is like the, just the pioneer, the the premier book, right? And it's all very very scientific. And a lot of the times, man, I'll have to read the same paragraph like four times. 
you know, and I've, I've read the book like four times and, and I still, I'm going through the paragraph like, what the fuck, man, what is he talking about? <laughs> this son of a bitch. So anyway, so like the, you know, the point is like, I just attack it like that, right. man, you know? And, um, um, I think there's uh, other things. I, I think a lot of people, um, again, like it's all about inspiring others. Right. And I think a lot of people could learn a lot from that. And that's what I try to do in my fights. I try to inspire people. I want my kids to be that way. I want, um, I want, I think it could bring the world up that way, man. People find something they want and attack it like a goddamn savage. Well, when people see someone that does really go for it, it does inspire them to go for it too. They see the excitement in it and they see the response that other people have to that excitement. And it just, it just makes them want to up their own life performance in, in a lot of various ways, you know, not just uh, in fighting, but they might want to up their performance from watching you fight in whatever the fuck they're doing in life. Mm -hmm. And that's, to me, that means more than anything else. Um, that's what a, a lot of people talk about the meaning of life. I think I got to figure it out. I mean, I think the meaning of life is to give. I think that's, if you look in, in nature, I know you're a big nature buff. I mean, that's what everything exists in nature to do. That's what a, that's what a tree grows fruit to give more fruit, right? That this, this is the uh, natural process of the world. And humans, a human animal has become uh, too analytical to figure that out, right? We think the meaning of life is all these other things because we think about other things. But really, our, our entire purpose is to give. Hmm. I think there's a lot of purposes in life, but I think that is one of them for sure. I think giving is definitely, it gives you a, a sense of meaning, and when you help other people, you feel better. You know, that's one thing that I think people are missing out on. They think that it should be all about themselves, and I'm just about succeeding and getting by on my own. Well, even what you just said, um, you know, gives you a sense of meaning yeah. or uh, makes you feel better, yeah. so you brought it back to yourself, right? Right. And that's, that's what... I think it's human nature and that's easy, but um, I try to get past that where mm -hmm. where it's not about me. It's not about how I feel about it. It's, it's about just giving, um, you know, I, I'm completely um, selfless. That's a great way to look at it. The way I describe it that way, though, is to enlighten people to this idea that I think pe not enlighten people, but just express my own perspective that I think people spend too much time thinking about what benefits them and that they don't recognize that the more you benefit other people that is really what benefits not just those other people but you as well and that they think of like helping people like yeah it'd be good to help people but that's gonna fuck me up because then I'm gonna spend less time on my own self but it's not really the case you actually enhance your own experience in life by helping other people. As we were talking about before the podcast, right? The abundance mentality. Yes. And that is uh, specifically the abundance mentality. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm a gigantic believer in generosity and abundance mentality. And I'm, I, I'm a fucking ferocious opponent of famine thinking. I think mm. that famine mentality, it fucks people up so hard. You get closed up. You get, you know, ultra protective. You get ultra. I just think that's a terrible way to live your life. And mm -hmm. you, you're living li your life with fear. And the hard part is implementing it, right? Mm hmm. Like, I can see you talk about it all day. Like, I don't give enough to. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't give enough away. That's for sure. I've thought about sometimes, like, I think about the crazy shit sometimes. And I was like, like, 
I think the ultimate, like, like coolest thing in life. So I have to have money, like, for my kids, unfortunately, right? Uh, not unfortunate, but. Right. Um, Just necessity. Yeah, necessity. Yeah. Like, that's what the money is, is about. I feel like if I didn't have kids, I would just give literally every dime away, start from bottom and see how many times. Because, you know, so there's like certain uh, uh, qualities in people that they're going to succeed no matter what, right? Mm -hmm. And I want to see like if I have those qualities, right? So I want to give everything away. Well, I'll, start I'll fix from that scratch. right now. You definitely do. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, you could do whatever the fuck you want in this life, but I, I feel like. Uh, a guy like you in particular, especially right now when you're on this uh, this fighting journey and you're still on it, I think you, what you give the most is through the best possible performance that you give. And when you have these wild, crazy performances like the Diego Sanchez fight, that shit inspires the fuck out of people. I mean, That's how many people watch that fight and, and just wanted to go run mountains and just get mm. crazy? It's just... Man, that's, that's cool you bring that up because I mean I never even thought of it that way. Like I, I always see it again. I always bring it back to myself, and I see it as an expression of my own art. You're a of public myself. performer. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You're 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 not just an athlete. You're not just a fighter, but you're also a public performer and an inspirational figure. Mm -hmm. And when you are doing your best, that gives a lot to people. I mean, nice. just how many people have watched great athletic performances, and it's given them the fuel and the inspiration to do great things in their own life. Man, that's cool you say that, yeah, because, uh, man, that might inspire me to fight a little longer, you know? <laughs> well, you were ready to retire after yeah. the, the Diego fight. That was supposed yeah. to be your swan song. Yep, yep. What, what, was it just too sweet? No, 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 it wasn't, it had nothing to do with the performance, actually. Uh, this, you know, so I think when we started the podcast, I was kind of talking about the why and the how a little mm -hmm. bit, right? And this is where I think I got a little confused was, I, I think, um, I mean, for one, I, I was I was questioning a lot of things. I got knocked out by Cowboy viciously. Um, the worst no I've never been knocked out in my life. I mean, and it was well, it wasn't too long after I just got dropped hard by Ellenberger, which was the first time in my life had ever been dropped in sparring or anything. I'd never uh, been dropped. Um, so I started just kind of questioning, you know, what uh, what am I doing? Okay, well, how? And the first thing I went to was, how do I not make that happen again? Um, so that gets very exhausting when you just like how 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 right right and i think through the diego camp because uh, again i announced the retirement long you know very early in the camp like 12 weeks out or something like that through the camp i man, um everything went so well I, I i focused more on my own mind and and a lot of these things we're talking about and i started uh getting back into the why and i started uh bringing a lot more clarity to that side of things now i know why i'm doing what i'm doing i feel much more comfortable and now it doesn't matter on the performance anymore now it's about truly going out there and performing the best that i can and then the second part of the whole thing is that um you know, I was very scared of retirement. I was very, very uh, nervous to be thinking like, what am I going to do? You right. know, like, how am I going to feed my, my kids? And um, fortunately, um, now, you know, I, I was able to, I realized once I announced it and then after the fight, I mean, just a plethora of, of, of opportunities and uh, Muscle Farm's probably been my best opportunity. And that's why, um, you know, I, I, I bring them up a lot, you know, because they, they've helped me so much. And and I think we're going to do uh, amazing things there, whether I retire or not. And I, I think it's going to be a big, beautiful thing. Um, what do you do but, for them specifically? Um, so I'm kind of tasked with uh, building the fight team and bringing um, the athletes and, and communicating with athletes and, um, 
you know, just making it a, a solid program there. Um, whether I'm the coach or not, it doesn't even matter. But, you know, I want to make it a, a great program and make sure that, you know, the facilities being used properly and bring in different athletes. And um, that would be uh, kind of the first step. And then beyond that, I mean, the opportunities are endless. I can do a lot of different things with it. So what was the thought process that was it immediately after the Diego Sanchez fight? Because I talked to you in Denver. Mm -hmm. uh, um, when, when you came to my show at the Belco, I called you up. We were talking, and you said, ah, I'm not really sure I'm done. And I was like, what's going well, on, that man? was So I don't remember the exact date of that, but that was probably, you know, um, you know, I said the retirement, and then again, like the camp just started uh, going amazing. And again, the why came back, man. Like right. I, I knew why I was doing what I was doing. Like I was enjoying my time at the gym again. I was when in, weren't you enjoying it? Um, I've, there's been a lot of times. I mean, what do you think? You, you know, my man, I've been around and I've had a, a lot of different uh, coaches, and that's my that's my biggest. If I had a regret in my career, is that I I wasn't as loyal to one sort of system as I should have been. I and I I have a term for it now. I call it the unicorn fallacy, where uh, you're constantly chasing the unicorn that doesn't exist, right? I'm, or uh, some people I've heard other people call it like the greener grass syndrome. You know, the grass isn't always greener on their side, right? Um, and that would, if I had a, a complaint about myself or if you want to call it a regret, like that's my problem. Like I'm always like, dude, I just, I just need to go over here and I'll get better because I'm always searching that how, right? Mm -hmm. And I forgot the why. So, um, you know, so again, you know, uh, this is, is, I think a lot of fighters probably also go through this where, where, I mean, it's hard what we do. There's a lot of pressure on our shoulders. There's a lot of, um, um, especially with a family. I got three kids, you know, right. it's like, I mean, I got knocked out in front of my three kids. Like they were at the fight, you know what I mean? Like, right. like I had a, uh, I think they were, I don't even remember <laughs> because I was fucking knocked out, you know, right, like, right. like I don't remember anything until I was waking up at the hospital, you know, and Dwayne was sitting there, you know what I mean? So like, I, I mean, looking back, like I don't even remember all this stuff. And, uh, it's funny cause I seen videos like, you know, them raising Cowboys hand. Uh, like, I don't even remember seeing that. Like I'm, uh, somebody told me that, you know, we were talking backstage. I seen a video, I should say, of us talking backstage. I don't remember none of that. Right. So things like that, um, you know, it makes you start questioning, like, dude, it's like, is this shit worth it? You know? Right, right. I mean, um, you know, and, and just a lot of internal struggles, right? Um, and again, you know, the, the camp I had with Diego, man, everything just, all the pieces fell into place. And I was like, dude, if I can do this every time, like, I could do this for a long time and I could smash a lot of people. So that's where you're at right now. Yeah. So you were reinvigorated. Reinvigorated. That's interesting. So this long career, so many great fights, and you still, you're still like finding to your be place. Honest, I think I'm fucking hungrier than I ever was. Wow. Man, I, I was like, because of like a lot of stuff we're talking about today, it just wasn't clear. You know what I mean? It was just a, a scatterbrain. Like again, it was all about the how. You know, right. like I, I was, I think I was like, uh, kind of hyper focused on that. Like, how do I get stronger? How do I get faster? How do I uh, throw a better punch? How do I, you know, analyze this guy and how do I beat him? And, you know, it's just constant how, and then you forget, like, why are you doing this anyway? Right. You know, so, and, and then, I mean, it, like I said, it's just a, it's not an easy sport anyway. I mean, it's probably the hardest sport that's ever existed. <laughs> I, I don't think there's anything harder. Yeah. I, I, would, I can't imagine what's harder other than yeah. actual war. <laughs> yeah right i mean right, maybe right. police officer fireman actual war mm -hmm. uh fucking trauma surgeon even them i mean you know? i mean it's harder in different ways right? yeah harder in different ways yeah. yeah it's one of the most pressure-filled 
athletic opportunities that a, a person can ever be involved in. Yeah. And now, what, it, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, the, the hard thing is, uh, this is all I've done. I've, I've, I, I got, I'm all in, you know, from the beginning, like I never gave myself an out. And I think that's important to do also. Um, a lot of the guys that have outs, I mean, I watch Shark Tank all the time and you see, you know, these guys, if they have an out, then yeah. the, you know, Kevin O'Leary or whatever is like, yeah. like, you know, fuck you. I'm it's not, like, I'm yeah, you. yeah, rich kids don't yeah. grow up to be world championship fighters. Except for BJ Penn. Yeah, right? <laughs> He's just a fucking animal. But he, yeah. he grew up in Hawaii. Hawaii is a different place. Like, you're stuck on an island with a bunch of motherfuckers who want to kick your ass. Like, <laughs> it's do or die in Hawaii. Right, right, right. Hawaii is an underappreciated place for tough motherfuckers, you know? Yeah, I have to go there. My wife wants to go there. Never been? Bad. I love it. I went it. there once. Yeah. I'd live there. I was in, like, Waikiki the whole time. Though. I'd live on the big island. Yeah? Fuck yeah. I yeah. could live there. Yeah. You, you wouldn't get an island, what nope. they call it, island sick? Or nope. So. If I did, I'd get on a plane. <laughs> People are awesome there, man. It's just a different, more relaxed, more, um, I don't know, they're just more chill. They say Costa Rica is the place to go. Costa Rica's pretty yeah. badass. They say it's the uh, best place to retire. Yeah? That's what I've heard, because it's like $1,000 a month you can live well or something. Yeah, Mel Gibson's yeah. got a fat spread there. He's telling me he's got like nice. 500 acres down there. Nice. That was a cool podcast with Mel Gibson. He's an interesting cat, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Here's my impression of Mel Gibson. <laughs> he just kept what? clicking the fucking the pen. pen. <laughs> he was uh, he just kept clicking the pen, and I I didn't want to say anything. I was like, what do I say? <laughs> Stop clicking the pen, Mel. I was, I was interested. I wanted to hear, like, <laughs> I kind of wanted to hear you interview him a little bit. It was like all the stem cell guy, huh? Well, he wanted to come on and talk about stem cells. That's really what he wanted to talk about. Yeah. And so I honored that. I said, all right, man. All right. You know, that's what you want to talk about. You think he's your biggest guest you've ever had? Uh, He's pretty fucking famous. Him or James Hetfield. He's pretty fucking famous, too. I mean, I don't know. They're up there. Who else? Alex Jones? <laughs> <laughs> He's the biggest. I love Alex the Jones. The most downloads. Alex beat everybody by Did a really? fuckload. Yeah, man. It was interesting. So uh, here's my theory on Alex Jones. Uh-oh. Just if you want to go there. Okay. I love going there. So I think he's a government plot. He's not. I'll tell you that for is. sure. I've known him forever. I've known yeah. Alex since 1998. He's not a but he couldn't, plot. He, he couldn't tell you because you would tell everybody. He's not. I've hung out with that guy. I get high with him. I'm drunk <laughs> with him. He's a fun dude. He is a guy who started out uh, as a guy who was uh, against the president. He was against George W. Bush. When okay. W. Bush, I don't even think he was, he was running for president at the time, right? Or was he? When, was it, when did Bush become? No, Clinton was president. Yeah, Clinton was president. George W. was the governor of Texas. And okay. he was getting arrested for protesting against them, protesting against the global elitists and all these different all things. Right, right. He had, didn't really become a supporter of any form of government until Trump. I mean, Trump is like the first guy, and he may or may not be getting played by Trump, where you know Trump's his buddy. And I mean, <laughs> right. Trump is a—he's a slick guy in terms of how he uh, cultivates is it, influence. He's an anomaly for sure. Right? So he's, yeah. he's an interesting character yeah. in a lot of ways. I mean, if it wasn't if, okay, so shoot someone, down my theory though, completely. Let me—and it's just a theory. I'm not—I okay. I'm, don't promulgate this, this fact or anything. Okay. But I've always thought that Alex Jones was was built by the government to make conspiracy theorists look like loons. He didn't used to make them look like loons. Really? He, no, no. He was much more... Uh, I mean, much it started more, with 9-11, though, right? No. No, Alex he was, was, he was the, way before 9-11. Well, I mean, he started with Waco. But that's when he came to prominence, right? Because like, he was the first to... 
to kind of... No, even before then, man. You know, I mean... But nobody cared about him before then. He was on AM radio before then. Right. But he's been around forever. I mean, like I said, I met him in 98. Well, I'm glad I'm wrong, then. I met him in 98, so it was several years before 2001. And uh, he was doing the same shit back then. Nice. I mean, he's always been around doing that. He's... He's right about a lot of shit, and that's what's so confusing. <laughs> right. Like, he is absolutely right about what they call agent provocateurs, where the government will send in people. If they have a peaceful protest, it's very inconvenient for them, like the WTO. He did this whole video about how the WTO, was that in Vancouver or Seattle? Where was the WTO? Was, I forget where it was. Why do I want, it was somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. I'm confused. But I'm not confused about the story. So what <laughs> happened was they had these peaceful protests against the World Trade Organization. And uh, it was very inconvenient because all these world leaders were coming to this, this area for this mm. meeting. And they sent in government agents that were dressed with black, black ski masks and uh, government issue boots. And these people started smashing windows and lighting things on fire. They turned into a violent protest, which enabled the police to close in and shut down the protest. Shit. The WTO protest, where did it say? Alex Jones, police state Seattle, to yeah. the takeover. Seattle? Yeah, it was Seattle. Okay. okay. So they, this is, but this is a real tactic that governments and intelligence agencies use. They have a peaceful protest, and then they have these people, like they, these guys, dressed in black ski masks. They start tipping over newspaper oh, stands. Shit. Like, it doesn't even make any sense. Like, so why are they doing this? So confirm that they're, yeah. they're government yeah. agents. Meanwhile, they, these guys have government-issued boots. No, it goes further. So these guys all... Um, they all got together at the end and they were cordoned off into a building and then they were ultimately released. They were never charged. They were never arrested. I mean, the whole thing is incredibly fascinating. And uh, some of them have been identified as government agents and Alex can get way more into detail about it. That's why, um, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, so to speak. Um, But the one thing I, I always say is, I don't put anything past our government. There's right? absolutely been conspiracies that are real. For sure, for absolutely. sure. Yeah. Whether it's the Gulf of Tonkin incident, yeah. whether it's Operation Northwoods, there's been, and there's, I'm sure there's been a bunch that we don't know about. I believe that the government assassinated, or somebody assassinated JFK. I don't think it was Lee Harvey Oswald acting nah. alone. I think it's very possible Lee Harvey Oswald was a part of it, but I know too much about bullets. To think that that fucking bullet went through two people and wound up on Connolly's gurney in the hospital yeah, looking pristine. Shit. Cut the shit. That's <laughs> all. I don't think that's real at all. Nice, nice. I, I've seen the Zapruder yeah. film. I, I've, I've read uh, several books on the story. I just I think it's very convenient to lump all that into one guy with one bullet. I think it's horseshit. And nice. I think they probably killed him. All right. Dum, yeah. See, I always, I always look into it a little bit. You know, and then I'm like, you know what? Like, the government probably did this shit, whatever. They this probably is like did a lot of shit. Yeah. They probably did a lot of shit that we don't know about, that yeah. we're not aware of. Yeah. But this is how governments work. They've always worked like that. This is how yeah. intelligence agencies say the, work. the uh, smart criminals go to politics, the dumb criminals go to jail. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. There's a lot of that. There's definitely <laughs> a lot of that. I mean, or, or, you know, the most criminally insane people in this world are attracted to politics. I think what's going to fix human beings, and this is a radical idea, but I I I really think the same thing that's going to fix human beings is what is, in a lot of ways, disrupting the standards of our culture right now with the internet. I think technology is going to fix human beings, because I think what technology is going to do is 
eventually there's going to be a way to absolutely detect whether or not someone's telling the truth. <laughs> I think it's inevitable. I think as we uh, find out- fuck up a lot of people's it's lives. It's going to fuck up a lot of people's <laughs> lives, and it's going to enhance most of our lives. And I think yeah. people like you and people like me who tell the truth, mm. it's going to be very good for you. Because I think there's- I think when you lie, it doesn't just fuck up the person that you're lying to. I think it fucks you up. I think it fucks up discourse. It fucks up culture. I think it fucks up human beings. It fucks up our communities. It's just, hmm. it's, a, it's a, an anomaly. It's a thing that people have been able to figure out how to do, where you've been able to say things that aren't accurate to convince someone of a reality that doesn't exist. I guess where, where I think it gets hard, though, is the politi politicians specifically are so good at not really lying, but like, you know, they're right on that gray area mm -hmm. where they don't, they're not really lying to you, but they're not. That's, but well, that's also because you can lie. So like a guy like Trump, right. who's been busted lying a million mm -hmm. times and still is in Which office. probably every president. Yes, yeah. for sure. I don't, th I don't think for he's sure. I don't Obama's think he's been unique. busted lying too. I, yeah. say, I don't think he's unique in that. No. And that's well, he's unique in his propensity for it. I mean, he loves it. He's a good, I mean, he's been lying forever, but I think that without a doubt, there's going to be a time in the future, whether it's in our lifetimes or after, where they develop technology that's going to absolutely allow you to detect whether or not someone's telling the truth. That's intense. Yeah, I think you it's going to be the future. Yeah. And I think when that happens, he, people are just not going to accept all the shit that we've accepted for so many years. I think it'd be an app on the phone. <laughs> I, think it's gonna be, I think it's probably going to be something that you wear in your body. I think we're real close to that. I think we're real close to embedded chips that you wear in your body. And I think those chips are probably going to interface wirelessly and you're just going to be able to read thoughts and ideas that come from people that are going to mm -hmm. come in probably a new language. I think we're going to be able to develop a universal language. Like don't a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of religious people say it's the mark of the beast, right? Oh, that's... Isn't that like a birthmark or some shit? Like, uh, what, what do the religious people think? Like a chip inside I know, well, your body? So I, I was raised in an ultra-religious uh, thing, oh, know, yeah? environment, right? My mom was, it was extremely religious. And did I, they I talk in tongues? Um, they probably thought they did or something. No, <laughs> <laughs> no they, um, you know, they're very fundamental. Um, you know, my, my brother could uh, go way deeper into what they were about. I never even paid attention. But, but I remember them talking about... Uh, like the mark, the mark of the, of the beast, beast, and they're like, it's going to be something implanted in you, and if, if you take it, then you're going to hell, and if you don't mm. take it, you know, or something like that. And maybe they're just planning I mean, ahead. They want to keep lying. We got to keep plan. <laughs> we got to plan ahead. But these chips are coming. They were certainly lying to me, but <laughs> I think there's going to be a language, a universal language, they figure out how to teach to children. I'd and be fascinated. Starting with children. Because children learn languages yeah. very easily, and if they develop a universal language that is somehow or another either translated through computers, because, you know, they have a thing now, these Google earbuds that you use with a Pixel 2 phone. So if you were talking to me in Spanish, I would hear the translation of what you said in English in yep. my ears. That's fucking amazing. Yeah. When yeah. I saw that, I was like, how is nobody noticing that this is step one? This is step one mm. of a universal language. Yeah, yeah. The translation like to English is fascinating, but I think ultimately we're going to be able to figure out how to communicate with everybody with a new language. And this, new, this, is, this is not hard to – I mean, it's obviously not easy, but it's not impossible to develop a new language, like a universal language that's accepted by everybody. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I used to. Uh, I have a Brazilian friend that comes up uh, uh, to my house sometimes, and we put the Google 
uh, translate thing just right in between us. Mm. And you can talk and it detects which language and, wow. and, and says it. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That's crazy, So man. it knows which language. Like, it'll know who's talking mm-hmm. without even – you don't have earphones or nothing. It'll just say it out loud. <sighs> yeah. That's amazing. It's not, I mean, it's not 100% accurate. Sometimes you have to so play I, around. But. I think this is one step, and then I think the next step is going to be some sort of a way to detect whether or not people are lying. And then another step is going to be more enhanced communication. And then another step after that is going to be some sort of telekinetic or te- some co- sort of uh, communication without verbalizing, without words. Oh, fuck. I think that's all what, that's coming. I'll just be out in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, y'all do your thing. Yeah. I'm going to hang out out here. <laughs> it might be the best way to live. I mean, that's how I want to live. I mean, my, my wife is a more of a city person. Sort of. I mean, got to get a weekend spot in Evergreen or something. Dude, I want to. Yeah. yeah. I'm supposed to do a thing with, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Denver Work. Oh, the, yeah. The Navy yeah. SEAL. He's doing like a campfire thing up there. I'm supposed to do that next couple weeks. I was just weeks, chatting yeah. with him just yeah. yesterday. We were texting each other. Yeah. About the campfire thing? No, he's about he's going to come on and do the podcast whenever he's in town. We're just oh, trying cool. to figure out a time. Yeah, I was texting with him on uh, Twittering. He's doing, I guess it's called like a campfire session. So mm-hmm. you go out there and hang out at this campfire and he just tells stories. And, yeah. yeah. He's a fascinating guy. He's been on my friend Steve's television show, uh, Meat Eater. Okay. He's been on I've that. Seen that. Yeah. yeah. yeah he's a fascinating, intense guy. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to bring my kids, but I don't, you know, he's even. He's a great guy. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you could bring your kids, but I think uh, anytime you could get a place where you get away, where you can get to nature, to see the real stars at night, and have a campfire, it's just reinvigorating. It's just great for you. Man, have you, did you see the eclipse? Did you? Uh, no, you didn't do I that. I looked thing? a little bit in my backyard, but I almost burned my eyes. So <laughs> I don't have the right goggles. I tried to put two sunglasses on. I was like, that don't work. That was like the probably the, the <laughs> deepest nature. Well, my wife, her family's up in Vermont, so we get some pretty deep nature up there. Oh, but but we were up in this place in Wyoming where, I mean, there was a million people there that weekend, but I don't think, you know, there's probably not a, a hundred people within, you know, a hundred miles. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> and uh, man, that was the first time I ever looked up in the sky and could see the Milky Way, though. Oh, you know what you got to do? Go to if you go to Hawaii, you got to plan it for when there's no moon, and go to the Keck Observatory. There's Shit. the Keck Observatory on the Big Island. Fuck, man, because the Big Island is designed. They, they have the lighting system. Yeah, it's darker, but they have the lighting system designed in the Big Island to have diffused lighting on the street lamps. What that means is that the light doesn't disperse it's into down. the sky. Yeah, and so when you go up to the Keck Observatory, man, you see everything. It blew me away. I saw it. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Like, legitimately what it looks like. Like, you go up there and you look up and you're like, holy shit. Because it's so high. I think it's 13,000 feet above sea level. Oh, wow. You go up there and... um, I didn't know they had mountains that big. Oh, yeah, they do on the Big Island. The Big Island has... It's like a different world. They have a bunch of different ecosystems up there. They have a rainforest. They have a desert. They have mountain ranges. They have lava. But it's... It changed my life, and I'm not bullshitting. It's like a psychedelic experience. Dude. When I went up there and saw the stars like that, I was like, oh, I don't even... I, don't even... I mean, if there's something to make you feel like a tiny fucking speck. You feel like you're on a spaceship. You feel like you're God. on a spaceship flying through that's the universe. How I felt when, that's how I felt when I was in Wyoming. Yeah. It just, you... I mean, and that, that eclipse obviously blew me right. away, too. You don't realize 
how many stars are up there and how much our street lights are fucking us over mm -hmm. because it's changing the way you view the cosmos itself it's changing your relationship that you have with infinity mm. with the universe i mean it's changing it because it's dulling our perceptions by limiting all of this spectacular light and these stars that we the Mil the milky way like this whole thing there's a reason why it gives you this sense of awe like it, it's a perspective enhancer it gives you this view of something that's impossibly beautiful and also impossibly huge and it just puts yeah. it all in perspective i think i mean one of the that's like... why people are so cocky in cities they're just they're, <laughs> right. they're missing that they're missing this re this reality check and the weird part is like that's small yeah right shit. like this is actually the milky way is like a small galaxy right yeah it's nothing yeah it's one of hundreds of billions of galaxies <laughs> in the known universe yeah and there's yeah. not aliens right well i was talking and i did neil degrasse tyson's tv show a couple of days ago and he was telling me that it's the most likely scenario is that we live in multiverses and that our universe which is impossibly large is one of an infinite number of universes that are all in these like bubbles can you uh, explain that? Like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> he said it to me, and I was like, "Wait, what? Like, is this?" I mean, you kind of got to take his word. Right? It looks like Googled it, and this is images that pop up. You kind of yeah. got to just trust him on that one, right? Yeah, well, whenever he says something, I kind of got to just trust I mean. him. You're like you're the expert, bro. Anytime I talk to astrophysicists, I just try to probe as much as possible and just trust yeah, them. Yeah, you can't argue with them about it. Right? But the idea is that like how we have a planet and the planet's part of a solar system and the solar system is a part of a galaxy and the galaxy is a part of the universe the universe is a part of a multiverse and then it's just is there's a fractal nature to it all and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and the idea that's multiverse is that there's infinite number of different universes now did he say that's uh you know Theoretically the most likely or that's there's some sort of evidence or there's some some reason to believe it outside Because my biggest thing is we have all these theories for all this shit. Yeah, you know, big bang God, whatever uh, You know how far the universe is But uh, can our minds really even wrap around what you know the reality probably actually is our minds may not even be able to to conceive the reality of this, you know, what I mean we may right. not it may not it may be beyond our Imagination. Well, yeah, our imagination is kind of limited to the things that we're supposed to be experiencing. What we're here, you yeah. know, we could abstractly think about things outside of that. But even when someone says to you like a hundred billion stars, you're like, "Wow, it's a lot." But you, that number's not even getting in my head, even after I've said it. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't know what that means. What does that yeah, even yeah. mean? That they say there's more stars than uh, grains of sand. Yeah. On the Earth. Yeah. I mean that that's what blows me away. Yeah. Cause, I mean, you just look at a jar of sand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are giant balls of fire, maybe a, more than a million times bigger than Earth, just floating in the sky. So we could see at the at the eclipse, they had a little observatory, like all the colleges and stuff were were there where we were at, and you could see. Um, you come back in like ten minutes, like, and every ten minutes, come back and look through this one telescope, and you could see a star going around a star. Wow, that was fucking cool. Yeah, I read something yesterday that Pluto is so far away that. When the time they discovered it in 1930, it still hasn't made a complete orbit around the sun. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> How long does it take to orbit? I don't know. Probably a long time. Long fucking time. So, it is, uh, the funniest part is the kids are sitting there and they're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Um, can we get some fucking marshmallows or what? Yeah. <laughs> some s'mores? play video games. <laughs> Pluto's unusual orbit takes 248 Earth years 
for Pluto to complete one orbit around the sun. Its nice. orbital path doesn't lie in the same plane as the eight planets, but is inclined at an angle of 17 degrees. And it's not even a planet anymore. Mm. Woo! Yeah, mind fucker. There it goes. How about Elon Musk? That crazy asshole mm. shot a fucking Tesla up into space yesterday with a mannequin on board singing a David oh, Bowie song. Oh, there were people on board? No, a mannequin. Oh, I thought there was no, real was people. No, a dude sitting in a Tesla roadster that's uh, like a mannequin. Like, it looks like a dude. And he's there. That's what live. it looks like. <laughs> yeah. Is this the, the yeah. live right now? You can see it? Yeah, that song's on a billion time loop. It's going to play for a billion, Wait, a billion what's years. They, they well, how's it this possible? Space? How does he have the battery to, for the song to keep playing? He's got some sun energy. He's lying. <laughs> He's lying. The guy's Figuring lying. Out, uh, these batteries run out of. They go. You go 248 miles. That car runs out of gas. Sure, <laughs> explain it. Wait, I thought, um, dude, I thought he sent actual the, fucking rockets. Yeah, 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 there was an actual rocket and a Tesla Roadster with a mannequin in it was attached to the rocket. Uh, so at the very apex of this rocket, as you know, the, this multi-stage rockets, they pop this bitch out and it goes flying through space. He shot a fucking car into space. <laughs> like, imagine aliens coming to Earth, and they and this is like the first thing they found. They go, "What the fuck is this? Is that a person? No, circuit no, board. Like, <laughs> there's a the richest, craziest guy, uh, one of the richest, craziest guys on Earth, one of the smartest guys. He just launches cars into space for a goof. <laughs> They're like, these people are assholes. You see a lot of rich people that maybe yeah, they just, just want to get richer. Picture. They just want to get richer or something, right? Like this That's dude's. How much money is he blowing on this shit? That's it's just made on Earth by humans. Yeah, I think he blew a hundred million dollars to do this. <sighs> Click on that link of the the image of the Tesla with the Earth behind it. Okay. Yeah, it's CGI, bro. The Earth is flat, <laughs> man. I mean, that is just what a crazy image, dude. I want to hear. Uh, I I never talked to Eddie about that. I want to hear his real theory on that. Eddie Bravo. Yeah. Don't talk to him about it. Gotta change. Dude, I want to hear it. It'll change the way you think. It's got to change now. There's a whole no, video of this going from no, the bottom to no, the top. No, it doesn't. It's not based in reality, it's man. Well. It's not based in logic or reason. It's based. So in, he has no logic behind it. <sighs> he wants to think the Earth's flat. He He's like, you don't know. He doesn't trust science. Doesn't trust scientists. Doesn't trust anybody. I, I mean, I get that, but yeah. you got to have some logic still to back it up, right? <laughs> you know what? One of the things that makes Eddie so good at jujitsu is he has an idea to get a move on you, and he's fucking completely locked on that idea. And everything that's trying to <laughs> shut that down is just like he needs to come up with a defense for that. He's going to find a way. That's how he looks at ideas as well. Okay. So if he has an idea that the earth is flat or that there's lizard people that live under the ground, like it's <laughs> like you got to prove, too? I don't know, you got to prove that that's not real to him. Okay. And if you can't prove that that's not real and you say, well, look at these pictures. Oh, that's bullshit. They, this, they fake it. <laughs> they fake the moon landing six times. Yeah, you got to give me more than go. that. I wanted to hear his uh, actual argument, but Sit I didn't know. Was a, Sit down yeah. with him. I'll film it. I wanted to. I'll turn the camera on and I'll leave the room. I went to his gym My a couple weeks ago, and I, I'd always heard that he talks a lot at his gym or kind of goes on about different Conspiracies. things like that. Yeah. yeah. And I was totally prepared. I was like, fuck yeah, <laughs> let's go hear it. Like, uh, he didn't do anything. He didn't barely even talk. We just rolled the whole time. He's probably happy you were there. He wanted to show you some jiu-jitsu. <laughs> like he's a jiu-jitsu wizard. You he know? did. He showed me some good jiu-jitsu. He just, uh, he I like his system. It's an in, it's an intense system. Not and you know the the moves I only know so much, but the uh, the concept of what do we do at ninety nine percent of jujitsu classes? You go practice uh, some new technique you probably never did before, and then you start rolling, and then you roll. Yeah. And his the when we went there we you know we drilled 
drilled drilledness reminded me much more of like a wrestling style yes. practice and i liked it a lot yeah in that terms well that's why he that's why he designed it that way he's a real jiu-jitsu genius he really is yeah you know i mean the the conspiracy thing i think he just enjoys it he, he loves them <laughs> he loves it he loves it. he's always sending me crazy shit i'm he afraid i'll him. love it too much like once i actually have the time mm. it's a giant distraction if you think instagram is. is a distraction Go, go try to well, that's the problem i mean you can't like you, you there's no website maybe there should be where you can just go on and say okay this is what this side believes about it this is what this side believes about right. it and you make up your own mind you gotta dig through fucking info wars every time. <laughs> <laughs> and of yeah. course like if you if you try to tell someone like, dude it's true i said it on info wars they're like okay right you're full of shit there's no. a few websites like that right like the daily yeah. mail you the read daily it on the mail. daily mail you're like get the fuck like the radar of or something like that there's a bunch of them yeah. there's a bunch of weird ones matt yeah. brown i gotta wrap this up i gotta get the fuck uh, out of here but listen man i appreciate your time yeah, i appreciate anytime. you being here it's a pleasure it's an mm -hmm. honor when are you fighting carlos condit april 14th Ooh, april 14th motherfuckers tune in um and it's i am the immortal on instagram right yeah and what what's your twitter same. Same. All right. Same. I am the immortal. And then uh, immortalcombatequipment.co. Thanks, brother. It's a yep. pleasure. All right. Thank you. Ooh.